Welcome to the Sports Honchos Radio Show, part of the Go Sports Media Company Radio Network. We're hoping you're here because you've just about had it with everyone and everything else. And you're looking for a pair of good-looking guys to tell it like it is, like it was, and how it should be. Or maybe you've got nothing else to do right now and you just need to waste some time. Either way, you might as well turn it up because it's time for the boys to get in your face, under your skin, over the top, and out of bounds. And now, here are your honchos, Paul Cuthbert and Robert Cuny. Are you ready, Mr. Cuny? I am ready, Mr. Cuthbert. Let's go! Wednesday Night Live, baby! Sports honchos, baby, all around the world on this Wednesday, March 30th. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert. Hold it down on the board here in the great state of Long Island. In the city and the town of New York. Is that right? Everybody's favorite hot show of mine, yours in the great state of Maryland, Mr. Robert Cuny. Greetings and salutations, everyone. You know, I am no geography expert. I mean, let's face it, I'm not an expert on just about anything, but the state of Long Island, did they jump, leapfrog Puerto Rico and D.C. and get statehood? You now didn't see the bill that was pushed across Congress this week. Got to put another star in the old blue flag, the blue part of the flag there. For <laughs> There's New York, and not instead of Virginia and West Virginia, you got New York and then Long Island. It's the state of Long Island, the state of the Isle. I like great. it. It'd be great if there we were a state. I'm all for it. I'm dreaming. I'm uh, March dreaming. I'm, uh, you know, as we talked pre-show, I'm a little all over the place, Robert. The, the mind is a bit jargled. And, you know, when you get up into the, uh, you know, the early 50s on the time clock of the the body that we are existing in. Right. Uh, the mind mind has a lot of work to do in terms of just trying to keep walking, talking to people. and Don't we all? You know, remembering things, especially when, you know, a lifelong Long Islander like me calls it a state, which I was absolutely wrong. But, hey, fuck it. That's great. Well, listen, we're, we're used to that kind of, um, that sort of attitude from you New Yorkers. I don't give a fuck. Every, every part of New Orleans. It might as well be every part of New York. It's its own state. Five boroughs are really the five states. Do you know why we can't become a state? Why you can't? Yeah. It, please, do tell. I've, I've been told we don't have enough industry on the island. That's the only reason. Really? I, I, I didn't have, know that was a prerequisite. I, I think we've got the population, 7 million plus. Mm-hmm. We've got some ports. We've got some I, nice cities out here. Port Jefferson City, Long Beach City, things like that. A couple of high rises, not too high, but you know, high enough. High enough. <laughs> I'm kind of high right now. It's an excellent question. Like, what does it take to become a state? Like, could you and I just go and buy like just a shitload of property and uh, meet all the requirements for statehood, just like it was, you know, 1835 again? Well, I mean, if if we had enough time, I guess we could. You know. But you, what I'm looking at here right now, because this has always been a, uh, there's two really, I guess Delaware and Rhode Island are kind of small. They should merge. Uh, Rhode Island, I think here, uh, as of 2019, only has a million people in it. We've got 7 million just from Nassau, I think the five boroughs out to the Montauk Point. You're like seven we Delaware. Uh, see, see, you know what's funny, man? No, see, look, I can't even make invasion jokes anymore. No. Nope. I have to catch myself. Sorry. Sorry, invasion jokes? Mm. Yeah, 
sorry. That's uh, <laughs> that's no good. <laughs> I fucking apologize, everybody. That's just terrible. It's just I'm just a fucking dumb white kid leaving, living in fucking lo- on Long Island, New- in New oh, no, York, in the great state it, of New gets, York. That gets. Yes, the dumb white kid. We're both a couple of. That should be the new name of the show. Forget sports. <laughs> a couple of dumb white kids. Although you know we're hardly, uh, hardly uh, children. So, um, I was thinking about what we were going to open the show with, and how about I mean, that bright yellow shirt you're wearing? Well, for all the millions of people that can see it, I'm sorry that I'm wearing bright yellow. It's so you know you can find me in the dark. Uh, lots of entertainment stuff, all of it bad. Um, we'll save the number one entertainment story for our headline section, but you know, we got to talk. I was ready to talk today about Taylor Hawkins and about Phil Collins. And then the news broke today about Bruce Willis. Whoa, Probably wait a second. Willis. Hold on. Not dead. Not dead. Everybody. Is Phil gone? Not Phil's not gone either. It's just, it was a bad week for the entertainers with whom we grew up, you and I. All right, well, well we didn't grow up with Taylor Hawkins, but let's hold yeah. Taylor first. Let's um, let's do Phil real quick. Well, how, yeah, I know he's he's okay. finished the tour and he's not feeling well, obviously. Well, he he, uh, re, I think a couple of days ago or past weekend in uh, London's O2 Arena, he said he and the the regular members of Genesis, Mike Rutherford, Tony Banks said that's it. No, Phil, Phil Collins said that's it. This is my last show. I'm done. I mean, it's so bad that he was doing the show in a chair. He did the whole he, tour in a chair. Right. He can't really stand. Um, he can sing. But he can't drum anymore because he can't hold a drumstick. And so he's got both, you know, uh, memory problems and physical Jimmy problems. Jimmy Page and Robert Plant don't have a problem with him not drumming. Uh, I, I don't understand the uh, reference. I'll look up the Live Aid story. Oh, Live Aid. That's right. Didn't yeah. he fly from Philadelphia to London to drum for Led yeah, Zeppelin? Zeppelin, and they weren't happy about it. So. Oh, all right. Well, anyway, inter- continue. I interrupted you. as I No, it's okay. I'm just saying it's just – it's sad – um, because as again, with Willis and with Collins and to a lesser extent, Taylor Hawkins, I mean, you and I grew up with Genesis and Phil Collins, of course, was the soundtrack to every eighth grade dance in America, uh, back in the early eighties and, you know, some proms as well. And Bruce Willis, who announced today that he's stepping away from acting, I presume that's permanently. I don't know that you this, there's a cure for this, but he's got aphasia. What is which, that? Which, just to put it simply, it impairs your ability either to comprehend speech, like you understand that people are talking to you, but you have a hard time interpreting it, or the worst kind of aphasia is you can comprehend speech, but you don't. You lack the capacity to make um, coherent sentences. Everything you say is kind of like a word salad. It's just random words. You can think it, but you can't really express it. And I'm not sure which one of these he has, but either one is, it's almost impossible to act if you're suffering from this. Um, well, people it's might like, say uh, from some of his last few movies, it's already started. Yeah, see, it's, it's the, it just happened like a couple hours ago. Let's, let's, let's let it <laughs> so simmer. Hit, hit your button. If that was inappropriate, hit yeah, your hold button. on, hold on. Yeah, that's. I'm sorry. <clears throat> yeah, let's let's <laughs> let's just let it simmer for a few minutes before we go in that direction. But another guy. I mean, you know, it's the same thing happened with Jack Nicholson. I mean, he stopped acting because he couldn't. His memory was shot. But when we look at Bruce Willis, who when you know when I was in, I guess, first year of college, 
you know, Die Hard came out, and you know, I watched Moonlighting when I was in high school, and another guy that we grew up with, and it's 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 not just with athletes. You know, we say it's tough when you see your sports heroes getting old and becoming more frail, but you know, the entertainers that because of the magic of Hollywood, you think are going to, you know, be in their youthful state and vigorous state forever. You know, it just it it suddenly hits you right in the face that these people that we grew up with that always seem to be young and vibrant, you know, any any anybody else. Any any anything with the face now? It's just yeah, it's, it hits, me, it hits you in the face like, you know, after Sunday night, anybody who uses any kind of expression with hit me in the face. <laughs> uh, we'll have plenty to say about that in a few minutes. But the, the Taylor Hawkins news, who is, by uh, the way, younger than you and I, um, that was that was a gut punch. Younger because than you and did. I, younger than you and I, three beautiful children, a wife. Right. In the greatest rock and roll band, if not the richest rock and roll band in the world right now. I mean, you know? rock and roll is is exists really only because of the Foo Fighters right now. They're they're the last ones holding the banner. I mean, you can say the Rolling Stones and every all the other bands that are still around, but the only band that's currently relevant making new music, and they just finished making that movie. Um, you know, their version of a vampire or zombie movie. I can't remember which one. Um, so yeah, there, Dave Grohl, very active. Making movies, making music. I mean, look, I, we grew up kind of. I mean, we were in college and then out of college when Nirvana came out. I always said that Nirvana kind of saved music for me because at that point when the early 90s came, like, you know, rock's kind of dead. I mean, there's classic rock, but the new stuff just isn't doing it. And then I heard Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all the Seattle bands, and I was like, okay, I'm excited again. You know, and then Green Day came along, and I was back, you know, to loving music again. But Nirvana was always first. And then when Cobain killed himself and Foo Fighters was born, um, I was just, I mean, even from their first album, which essentially was a Dave Grohl solo album, uh, was brilliant. And then everything that he does, everything he touches turns to gold. And part of that was the great drumming. And do you know how uh, Dave Grohl found Taylor Hawkins? Look, pal, I just want you to know this, and I'm sorry we didn't talk about this pre-show. Um, yes. You're talking to one of the biggest Foo Fighter fans in the world here. So okay. I know, I know everything. All right. Well, then, please. But, so, no, conti- no, I want you to continue Lay it on to, me. no, let the fans know. Continue. That he I'm was okay. the drummer. Talking- he, was the, he was the touring drummer for Alanis Morissette. And, and you, know, you know who he played for before Alanis Morissette? I do not. Sass Jordan. All right. So, you see, imagine you're a touring drummer playing for Alanis Morissette. And, and by the way, I heard some of the stuff from that tour, and it's just, I mean, the drumming just stands out as being... Incredibly fabulous. And, you know, Taylor's in that famous Fighters, video. Yeah, but get this. The Foo Fighters opened for Alanis Morissette. I mean, try to imagine that now. Get your head around the Foo Fighters as an opening act for Alanis Morissette. And Van Halen used to open for Journey and Kiss. Yeah, well, I know. You I mean, start I somewhere. I think Van Halen and Brian Adams once opened for The Who. Now, there's a great triple header right there. But anyway, uh, Grohl heard, because you know he was unhappy with his original drummer, which is why it's basically Dave Grohl playing drums on the first album and pretty much every other instrument. Um, wanted to sack him and liked Hawkins and said, what do you think? And Hawkins said, let's see, tour with Alanis Morissette, mm, being what could be one of the greatest rock bands of all time. And he said, see, Alanis. And, and you know, those persist- early years, though, if, if look, I got to. So, oh, man. So what you're alluding to before, I've, I've for the last five, six years, 
if you are one of the wonderful 6,000-plus who follow me on Twitter, I always have posted when the Foo were out, I said, here are the Foo Fighters saving rock and roll every year. And I just watched them progress from playing, like, Webster Hall here, you know, 2,500-seat venues here in New York, to seeing them, to me, when they got to the point where they were selling back-to-back shows out at Wembley Stadium in, in London, and that's when, you know, uh, Jimmy Page and you know uh, so many great big stars, you know, they, they made it. To me, I've always right. looked at if you if you ultimately sell out Wembley Stadium in London, you know, you, you've you done, done it. Something right. Yeah, you've done it right. That doesn't mean, like, I mean, there's uh, tons of groups that are just massive who haven't sold out Wembley Stadium, but, you know, even in the beginning we were talking about, like, Live Aid and everything like that. I mean, when we were kids, we remembered how massive – JFK Stadium in Philadelphia was a hundred thousand strong. <laughs> yeah, and then seeing you know Live Aid and Wembley Stadium too. I mean, you always those two things are just amazing. But yeah. um, yeah, Paul and I never talk about music, which is a shame because I mean, we'll, we talk about sports. We will on our upcoming they, podcast, the Music Honchos. Yeah, but we have the same. Which will be preceded by the Movie Honchos. Yeah, sure. We'll just and spend the political Honchos. Any, it, just anything honchos. Well, anything you want to talk. We got nothing else to do. We'll just sit here and talk about whatever you want to talk so about. So here's here's here. Look, Taylor's loss is crushing. Okay, and you know, I like I said, I'm I'm sitting there running off. Like I said, married, three kids, um, one of absolutely adored and loved by not only his his bandmates yeah. and his best friend Dave Grohl, but the world. And you know, seeing you could see all the the tweets and the words by all the musicians and the lives he's touched and everything else. He was just a even Richard Marks, well, the blast from the past, said he tied with a lot of people. Give some love, and Richie's actually a pretty fun guy to read on Twitter. He's pretty damn good. So oh yeah, he is. It's just he's in terms of being a, a relevant musician. It's been a few minutes since his time. Yeah, but see, he's not because see this. This is why we do have to do the music contrast mm-hmm. because Richard Marks is actually very rich, sort of in the way like Daryl Hall is too. Because right. when Richie Marks was. You know, he's a songwriter, number one. He's got royalties on tons of big hits, and he had a lot of success there when he was successful, and those royalties never go away. Right. But um, so, uh, Let me just can I say one more thing about sure. Hawkins and Foo Fighters. So I remember when, first of all, I was devastated when Kurt Cobain co- killed himself, and I was like, well, that that's the end of music for me yet again. And I then I heard that Dave on. Grohl had, his, had a new solo, or not solo, I guess a new band, but it's technically a solo career. And I thought, okay, this is just going to be some, you know, derivative Nirvana knockoff crap, and uh, it'll go away in five minutes. And then I heard all stick around, and I'm still picking my jaw up off the floor, you know, 27 years after it came out. So, dude, he's written so. I mean, to me, the, the just, two that stand out for me, I think the Pretender is one of the pound for pound greatest rock and roll songs ever written, and one of the great videos, by the way. Yes, but the, the, even in terms of dynamics, and then I love. The song the best, which is repetitive in a lot of ways, but there's just it's such an incredibly signature song. And then when Prince did it, Super Bowl. Look, I just want to say a couple quick things here, really quick. And from and I'm going to suggest this to you. Mm-hmm. There's um, there's the Sound City. Uh, you got to watch the Foo Fighters documentary. Okay, it came out a couple years ago. Um, and there's a couple, but you got to do it on the Foo Fighters, and 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 it was before. Uh, the Sound City documentary come out, and it came out way before the HBO series that they had and everything else. There's an incredible amount of uh, documentation on the Foo Fighters, their relationship, how they almost broke up years ago, um, and Taylor Hawkins, his he almost died before. 
He OD'd mm. before. So he's, he's had this fight with his demons for a long, long time, okay? Um, you must do that. Myself and my wife, my wife, again, we're huge True Fighter fans. You know, my wife has saw them, we saw them, like I said, my, my wife saw them at, at Webster Hall, like in front row, before they became these monsters. And I know a lot of fans out there have. And that's why they're generation, generationally such an incredibly successful band, because that pocket coming out of the mid-90s into the 2000s, and before the download and the streaming and everything, when, when radio rock was still relevant, mm-hmm. it was huge. Uh, bands like Rage Against the Machine. Like, there's only a handful of bands like Guns N' Roses that can fill football stadiums, okay? Um, but there's a incredible amount of documentation in terms of how close, how tight the, uh, the journey that the Foo Fighters have had. Now, me and my wife went to see Dave Grohl during his... He released his book. I don't know if you're aware of that. You got to get the book. You got to read the book. And we went to see him in the city of Town Hall... And he did this speaking tour, all right? Um, He didn't speak about it too much in his one-man show. But in the book, the last chapter, I believe, of the book, it's it's very in-depth about his uh, experience in losing Kurt Cobain, his tightness with Taylor. And he did talk about him and Taylor, actually, their friendship and stuff. And a big thing that they talk about... The the success of their first album there, they were on tour the same exact way when... Dave and the guys in, in Nirvana were out in tour. He talks about how they, they were in a van, broke, on the road, while Smells Like Teen Spirit was becoming this massive hit in the world. But they had no idea because back then there was no social media. You didn't know. You just went from city to city, gig to gig. So then when Taylor joined the band every, uh, as well, they went on tour too. And they used to, they used to tour, as, as you know, he's friends with uh, Farrell from Jane's Addiction and all that other stuff. They were on those Lollapalooza shores and stuff, and they were on bills with, like, Pantera and all these really hard rock heavy bands. And, and he talks about these great stories, how they would be on stage. They were opening acts back then, you know, Foo Fighters and stuff. And the 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 guys from, like, Anthrax and Pantera, all the, they were on the side of the stage, and they were singing along with these guys, you know. And they, But even still, they came off that tour not realizing that Everlawn had taken off and, and these big album stuff. And that ultimately, and if, if, if you... If I, I recommend everybody either getting his book and looking up those documentaries on the Foo Fighters, and then you'll see how devastating this is about Taylor um, being gone, number one. He's gone. There's nothing you can do. You can sit here and go, why, how. You know, I know he had the, the – like I said, I was bringing up the point. Like I said, you, you, how – no matter how much you have it all, when you're in that much pain or you still feel you, you're dependent on those kind of things, uh, it's just it's, – it's a head-scratcher. It's mind-boggling, you know? Um, yep. and you know, recently it's been Chris Cornell and, and the kid from Lincoln Park and, and they all had these, these terrible things that they went through when they were kids and everything. But anyway, um, it's just an absolute tragedy. Unfortunately, it's, it's still Rob world enough to know it's a, it's the quote unquote rock and roll tragedy. The, the epitome of success, you know, you look at rush and rushes, you know, what is what is what do the Foo Fighters do now? What does Dave Grohl do? You know, I have tight relationships with my, me and my guitarist been playing together. We've known each other for thirty years. We've been playing together for seventeen, eighteen years. I don't know what it would be like to look to stage left and not see my buddy Louie there. I don't. I can't imagine Dave turning around and not seeing Taylor there. I mean, they've canceled the whole tour right now. Um, As well, yes, but it's amazing too. But just like you know, the owner from the Senators died last week. 
you know, the, the Senators as a business, as a franchise, as a, as a league, they have to continue on. And now, obviously, rock and roll. And, and like I said, Dave, they're all rich. They're loaded. They don't, but, you know, and that doesn't matter. But there's a, there's a business side of this. There's a, there's a, just a personal devastating tragedy to this. Um, and when you look at the documentaries, if you're a huge Dave girlfriend like you are and anybody else, you can really understand how absolutely devastating this is. When I saw the tweet come over the other night, you know, because I've always fumbled through my Twitter feed, I was just like, I was just, oh, my God. But here I am a couple of days later, and it's like, I mean, what do, what do you do? How, you know, so many people don't have anything in this world, and they, and, and I don't know. It's Bottom line is, Rob, it's just, it's terrible. It's sad. It's awful. He's too young. Well, at least he wasn't part of the 27 Club. I mean, he lived to be 50, which is not old. Uh, but still too young, man. It's, it's too young, obviously, but it's 50 and not 27, 25. I feel so much for his wife, his kids, and, and Dave, and the entire Foo, Foo Fighters family. Um, those are the most, this is the most important thing. It affects them. And he was, he was, he was a great kid, good soul, amazingly talented. And again, it is, it's just, it's another sad rock and roll story. Right. And um, before we leave this tale, let me just, I like to point this out because it's a source of pride for me that Dave Grohl, from the D.C. area. Oh, yeah, from, he talks from, about his okay. upbringing. I thought of you when we went to see him in New York. Yeah. And he talked about the suburbs of uh, where he's from there in Maryland and stuff in D.C. And, in fact, him and Taylor were close because they... You know, Dave talks about being in Kurt Cobain's apartment, sleeping on the floor. They had nothing. Yeah. They had fucking nothing. And then when he Dave had to start all over again, him and Taylor... Had fucking nothing, and Pat Smear comes in, and then then they talk about the whole thing about how Dave played on that album, and the original drummer was moved, and then Taylor came in, and you gotta watch it, and it just brings it full circle, and it's just, it's just devastating, and I, I, I don't know, I mean, I mean, I'm sure everybody, we all do, we want to hear from Dave, everybody wants to hear from Dave, because right. Dave, Dave is the epitome of the good guy, rock and roll guy, and that's why you, your heart breaks for Dave too, because he was devastated by Kurt Cobain's, um, even the short relationship that they had. They were very close, and to see this now happen to him again, because he is, he's a good guy, Rob. He does good things. Yeah, he's, and he's he's a good person, and he's and in addition to being supremely talented. Oh, forget about it, man. It's just. But I mean, I, I mean, as much as I love the Foo Fighters, it's still there was something about Nirvana that sort of exists, like just slightly above it for me. When I see their videos and listen to their music, it's just there's something about it. They weren't quite like the run of the mill Seattle grunge band. There was they something like, about them. They were the same way Elvis was. They were the same way that the Beatles came in. They were the same way Jimi Hendrix came in. They were the same way Eddie Van Halen came in. They right. fucking flip the music industry upside fucking down. I mean, just just listen to Heart Shaped Box. Oh yeah, man. It's just e e there's just nothing like it. And the video for that, like, these guys, I had such high hopes. And then that the the Unplugged album came out, which I saw that performance on MTV, which was just amazing. With Nirvana doing you know the man who felt or man who sold the world, the David Bowie song, and I just again jaw still on the floor. And then it was over. Just, just like that, um, and then I, you know, thrilled that that at least Dave Grohl continued on. I don't know what Chris Novoselic did, but um, 
you're right. This is now again, this is history repeating itself for Dave Grohl. You know, and 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 probably much more impactful because it's been over you know 25 plus years they've been playing together. Yeah, I mean, rock bands and a, an icon like David Grohl, those guys have a bigger impact on the industry as, as even more so than say an Eddie Sheeran, Sheeran or however you pronounce pronounce his name. It's the same way, you know, like U2 and, you know, even Oasis. Oasis flipped the music industry on, this, on, its, on its side there in the 90s, too. I mean, um, but, you know, for David Grohl to reinvent himself, and he tells a great story, and I'll, I'll this is not, you know, we could talk, I mean, I could talk to you about this for hours, but. We just scrapped the rest of the show. I mean, I, so could I. <laughs> he, he talks about he went to Ireland after Kurt's death and everything, and he, he didn't want to look at music, listen to music, do anything like that. And he was driving in the hills of Ireland, and he sees a young kid hitchhiking, and he figures, what the fuck, I'll just pull up and see if he needs a ride. And the kid's wearing a Kurt Cobain shirt. And it was right then that he realized, no matter how far he tries to run away, fly away, drive away, it'll always be there. And it was at that moment he realized, I've got to just start over. Like, I'm never going to be able to run away from... Kurt's death and the ending of Nirvana and everything else. Um, and that's when he came back and turned the Foo Fighters engine up. That's a great story. Wow. Oh, it's incredible. He's, he's amazing. Dave is such a down-earth guy. I would, I, would, I would invite all of you out there who are listening, go to YouTube, search Dave Grohl, um, his, his book tour, and people put up tons of it. He was so cool because on a lot of book tours, people don't let you film what's going on, and Dave had no issues with that, and there's, there's a magical moment, and it's on YouTube, you'll find it, and he does this thing at the end of the show, and there's a drum set on the stage, and Dave talks about how this song changed my life, and he gets behind the kit, and he plays along to the backing tracks, and Kurt's voice doing Smells Like Teen Spirit, and he plays the drum like a no. mofo, and it's an absolute, I never saw Nirvana live, but for that moment in Town Hall in Manhattan a couple of months ago, I'm watching Dave Grohl on stage. And I've seen him in multiple variations of Foo Fighters from City Field here where the Mets play to Madison Square Garden to uh, small places. And I, I felt like, holy shit, I'm, I'm, I've finally been to a Nirvana concert. That's the energy he brought to it. Yeah. But look it up, man. It's yeah. amazing. Um, you know, if you want to see Nirvana's finest moment, just dial up the, uh, the In Bloom video. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great so song and a great video the unplugged on mtv i mean you could just go on and on and on they should uh, play the super bowl by the way foo fighters come on come on roger yeah Get well I, I don't i don't know i mean i don't know i don't know how they come back from this uh, if but if you know dave they, they might but um uh, look at uh you gotta watch the sound city because what dave did was where all those famous records by tom petty fleetwood mac like rumors and all that stuff all those great and that's where uh teen smells like teen spirit was recorded was recorded in sound city in california he actually bought the board the original board because they were closing the studio down and he took it up to seattle where he lives and he mm-hmm. refurbished it all it's, it's fucking amazing dave is fucking amazing if and you gotta watch sonic highways on hbo and it takes you in, and then it just becomes more heartbreaking because you then you just get more into who Taylor was and the person he was. What he did with Nandy, uh, that young kid from England, the young little girl, the drummer. Yep. What he did with her, and they, he brought her on stage. I mean, it's just magical. So, anyway, our hearts are with um, their entire family and to thank all the family. You, uh, and thank you for indulging us, everyone. Woo! As we 
nerded out on music for a while. But you no, know, it was, it's it's a rough week for entertainers, especially you know the ones that we enjoyed and still enjoy. I mean, again, Phil Collins, Bruce Willis, not dead. So, but Taylor Hawkins. So let's me. be honest, Rob, and just tell everybody we, we do this because this is therapy for me and Rob. We it is super like sky point Taylor Hawkins. <laughs> And now, and now we'll get on to the usual hijinks and shenanigans that you've come to know and love. You're going to get your money's worth of shenanigans, folks. Don't worry. But, you know, sometimes, you know, life gets in the way. All right. I'm going to spay the Rod Stewart this week. Thank you. Appreciate it. Who wore it well the best yes, thing? Yes, I know. Thank you for paying attention to the show. No, it's who wore it best. Episode <laughs> 56. So we will pay tribute to someone who wore number 56. And this one... It's very near and dear to my heart, very personal, because this man terrorized my beloved, yes, they were the Washington Redskins at the time, terrorized him for, you know, 12 seasons, 13 seasons as the monster of the New York football giants, good old Lawrence Julius Taylor, LT. better known as LT, paroled or patrolled the defensive side of the ball for New York for 12 years. Won a couple Super Bowls. He was obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer in 98, 10-time Pro Bowler, 8-time All-Pro. He was one of, I think, the only, still the only person, the only defensive player to be Rookie of the Year and uh, Defensive Player of the Year in the same season. People thought that uh, Micah Parsons from the Cowboys might pull off that daily double this season. He ultimately didn't. Um, but he was a beast. With his 143 sacks, um, not much on the interceptions or the fumbles that way was in his game. He was just a disruptor. He was not just one of the greatest linebackers and not just one of the greatest defensive players, but one of the greatest football players, period, just in terms of overall skill and ability. People say that Jim Brown was the greatest football player of all time, not just the greatest running back, but Lawrence Taylor would be up there. And every Sunday or every season, I should say, when we would play the Giants from 81 to 93, especially in the 80s, I just chalked that up as two losses. That was um, that team, that Giants team coached by Bill Parcells was Joe Gibbs' Achilles heel. It seemed like we never beat them, um, certainly not in the playoffs, but even in the regular season. Every once in a while, we'd beat them, and it'd be cause for celebration, and whatever happened, Lawrence Taylor was right there in the middle of it. And you sort of – he went into New York knowing – Lawrence Taylor was going to get his. He was going to disrupt your offense. So you better have a plan to at least contain him. Uh, certainly not uh, stop him. So uh, Lawrence Taylor, hats off to LT. And once again, let me remind everyone, highlights, football highlights do not translate very well uh, to Are you going to play the audio so, to, of the Theismann hit? No. no oh, I'm not, come on, I'm not, man. I'm not even going to talk You're about it. You're not going to play what, the crunch? No, I'm not, no, hold on. <laughs> no, I'm not going to play what was a, a extremely traumatic moment in my life on that Monday night football game when Lawrence Taylor sat on Joe Theismann and broke his leg into a million pieces. Um, but this is a clip from the movie Any Given Sunday where he played basically himself uh, as a member of the, the fictional Sharks, Great the Miami flick. Sharks. Um, and he's talking to Willie Beeman, the hot, hot shot young quarterback played by Jamie Foxx. And it really is not just a movie, but I mean, not just lines of dialogue in a movie, but it's really basically what every football player 
coming into the NFL and really any professional athlete coming into whatever their sport is should pay attention to because it's about, you know, appreciating what you got, but making sure that there's more to life than just the sport you're playing. And apologies, there's going to be a word in there that the honchos do not uh, condone. So we apologize in Whoa. advance. That's you'll, you'll hear it. So, so here it is. This is um, LT talking to Willie Beeman. It's, I forgot the Lawrence Taylor character name. Lawrence Taylor talking to Jamie Foxx. Let me tell you something. For every suckle in this, for every very sadness, for every jury of rice, it's a hundred niggas you never even heard of. Sure, the game's taught you how to strut, how to talk shit, how to hit what else? Suddenly there's no more money. No more women. No more applause. No more dream. This is what I'm trying to say to you, bro. When a man looks back on his life, he should be proud of all of it. Not just years he's been to pads and cleats. It's not just members of it. It's great. You gotta learn that will in here. If you don't, you're a man. You're just another punk. So there you go. Was that record? Is that the submarine scene? Yeah, they they were sitting in a uh, they're both in a what looks like a gigantic sauna. I mean, it, it looks like they're having a steam inside a subway tunnel. So you got the really dramatic music, and I know that was written by a Hollywood screenwriter, but still, those words are very prophetic for all athletes. It's like you know, don't take don't take for granted the time that you're in the spotlight, and then the rest of your life it's just filled with regret, and you've done nothing with your future. Sage advice. For a man who's run afoul of the law a few times, but still. Advice me and you certainly haven't taken. Yes, exactly. So so that's it. Who wore it best for this week? Number 56, good old LT. Congratulations. Nice job. Nice job. I like these little segments that we do. It kind of, um, it gives the episode a little bit of personality. It does. Again, I don't know what's going to happen when we get to episode 100. Um, I guess we can... Turn the car around and Let's go back. Let's see if we even get there, buddy, okay? I, I know. I'm, back I'm, off the 100 episodes things. I like you and everything, and I know you pretend to like me, but let's just see what happens, okay? Uh, pretend. That's one way to put it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and it also reminds people that this is a sports show. Sports show. It is. And right now on the sports show, sports we're and other gonna, stuff. we're going to talk about stuff that has nothing to do with sports right now on our fun segment here. Headlines that make you do lines. Fire up the band, boys. I tell you, buddy. This should have been the outro music for every commercial at the Oscars on Sunday night. And the great thing is, I was one of those, let's say, thousands of people who had no fucking interest in the Oscars at all. Same way I don't have any fucking interest in the Grammys. And the only reason I tuned in was after an hour of Twitter exploding well, and, and watching the uncut 
segment the, of Will Smith smacked the shit out of Chris Rock. The, the Grammys are not for us anymore. <laughs> you know you're old when you're like, you look at the Grammy nominees and go, who? What? I, I, I got nothing. It's all rich people that, you know, they can't relate to any of us. So. What do you got, right. buddy? Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to introduce this. I'm just going to say of all the news that's popping that we're going to talk about, there's nothing else at the top of anyone's agenda other than this. You know who's got the hardest job tonight? Javier Bardem and his wife are both nominated. Now, if she loses, he can't win! (laughs) (laughs) He is praying that Will Smith wins. Like, please, Lord! Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, that, was a, that was a nice one. Okay. I'm out here. Uh-oh. Richard. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Sure did. Nick- my wife's name out your fucking mouth. Wow, dude. Yeah. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I can, oh, okay. Why are you making us relive this? That was a greatest night in the history of television. Okay. So okay. The, the best By the way, of- kudos to Mr. Rock there with that line. I was going to say, the best part of that is the recovery of, this is the best, this is the greatest night of television in the history of whatever he said, this greatest night in the history of television, which very well could be true. I now, stole your thunder there. I'm, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Now, I'm, don't, I'm, sm- I'm, don't smack me. I promise you I won't. Okay. <laughs> there you go. All right. Now, I've, I have watched this video like this is a Pruder film. Over, oh, no, you haven't. Please. Over, back Stop, and to the on. left, back and oh, to the left. Everybody, you told hold me on. You were busy this week. I'll give myself one of those for mentioning this is a Pruder film, but I'm, I'm telling you, man, I don't believe that was anything but a staged stunt. No, it wasn't. Yep. No. I, you know, I, I've gone. I thought about this not long and hard. All right, I want to know. I, I tell you what, cut all the bullshit. Go straight to. Why and who benefited from this being fucking set up? Go ahead. Okay, so there's a couple things. Again, as I zapruder this film, if you're really mad, like if, if Will Smith was really fired up and steamed up about what Chris Rock said to, to Jada Pinkett, which, by the way, you don't like, you know, stay away from the jokes about people's medical conditions. And, and, and don't make a joke about a movie that no one remembers under the age of 100. But anyway, if he's really fired up and steamed up about it, it seemed like he just kind of sauntered up on the stage and there was Chris Rock, you know, kind of chuckling, waiting for him. And then he gets up there, he gets to Chris Rock, and now Phil Smith's a big boy. He's a big boy who grew up on the mean streets of Philadelphia. If he backhands you or slaps you, whatever he did, you're not just going to... You know, go, whoa, hey, I just got hit by Will Smith. You're going down like a sack of potatoes. It's going to be, you know, Ali and Sonny Liston all over again. So 
And and you mean to tell me that a couple of guys who made their living making movies can't make a fight look real? You mean that nobody's ever in live time ever made a punch sound real and look convincing, but it really wasn't? And then, he, and then you see him as he walks back off the stage, Will Smith. Again, he doesn't run off the stage and storm off the stage. He kind of has this smile on his face that doesn't suggest that he – you know, defended Jada Pinkett's honor. It was more like, yeah, that was funny. That was fun. Let's do this again. Who benefits from it? I mean, as we, as you said, when the music was playing, uh, nobody's watching the Oscars. I used to live for the Oscars, loved the Oscars. It was like a second Super Bowl for me. Oh no. Okay. But then too many things happened that became way too political. And every movie that featured, um, somebody who'd been disenfranchised and marginalized or who people that aren't usually represented. Um, and I'm not talking about black versus white. I mean, for instance, like Daniel day Lewis, one for my left foot and Tom Hanks, one for Forrest Gump and so on. It was let's, and that's fine. If they really had the best performances when saving private Ryan got beaten out by Shakespeare in love for best picture. I was out, Jerry. Then I came back in for a couple of years, like when spotlight won best picture. But then when La La Land lost to Moonlight, and La La Land, which was, uh, I don't want to say a groundbreaking movie, but it, it sort of you revived. You that piece of listen, shit listen, it, it, Zip it. Zip. <laughs> For those of us that, that like the movies, La La Land was reminded people that you can still make original movies that were classic Hollywood movies. You don't have to make a superhero movie, which I love, or a big-budget sci-fi extravaganza, which I also love. And you don't have to take a a subject that's extremely serious and make a movie about it simply to get the Oscars on your side. So I was out on the Oscars. The Oscars are dead to me. So I wasn't watching. Don't care. Most of the movies I hadn't seen, um, you know, you Coda winning was a, exactly zero of a surprise because you knew that a movie uh, with the subject matter that it was about was going to win best picture. Not the sleepy Netflix movie with Benedict Cumberbatch. Hey, if Benedict Cumberbatch is not playing Doctor Strange, I'm not interested in seeing a movie with him. He wasn't or, that or good Tom, in the latest sorry. Spider-Man, by the way. I didn't like it. But anyway, um, so it, it gets people, you and I, you know, and, and the rest of the world, three days after the Oscars, still talking about it, which means next year people are going to tune in because we're a curious bunch. And I've already heard people say if, if the Oscars had any heart and any soul, they would have rock and Smith co-host next year. Um, nobody's talking about Chris rock. I mean, before the Oscars, I mean, Chris rock is not, he's not slipping into irrelevance, but he's not, you know, he is, he is on tour this year with uh, Kevin Hart stadium well, tours. So he's not the A-lister he used to be. In fact, Kevin Hart's the headliner in that one and not Chris rock. So it gets a little publicity for Chris rock. It does nothing for Will Smith, but it does – it's just, you know, they, they say no publicity is bad publicity. The Oscars needed something because that, that telecast was – it was doomed from the beginning with the three hosts and the different formats, and they were getting away from the traditional Oscar glitz and glamour, which I got to tell you, people like the traditional glitz and glamour. One host – Why would those two guys agree to that? I don't know. But I, I just – the cynical me says it just – I cannot believe – that it wasn't anything except planned. Look, we've you and I have seen enough fights in our time, both on screen and off. They lack planning. They're all spontaneous. They're all, you know, heat of passion, heat of the moment sort of affairs. It's not 
think about it, think about, okay, I'm just going to walk over to this guy who's pissed me off. Now, maybe if you're going to sucker punch somebody, but he was really angry, allegedly. And then, and by the way, how many people can just walk up on the stage during the Oscar telecast? I don't care if it's a celebrity or not. Because that that three hours... And, and, and Chris Rock, by the way, would be on the floor if he was hit. Yeah, yeah I don't give a... He point. wasn't, like, just pushed. It wasn't a light shove. If you believe that Will Smith brought the full force of his weight on Chris Rock's face, he wouldn't just have reeled back and go, whoa, hey, you know, Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. You saw those Russian smack fights on YouTube and stuff? Those guys never get knocked down. They just... Their face kind of gets blown back. I, okay, neither one of these guys are rock'em, sock'em robots like the guys on the slap fights that you're talking about. So, you know, look, maybe it was real, but I'm, you know, I'm way too cynical to think anything in the social media age is anything but staged. Like, when you see these videos on social media of things that are bizarre, you're like, well, why was somebody filming this in the first place? How was it you just happened to have uh, your phone handy when these things were happening? How would you know? So, you know, I, I'm just way too, if you'll pardon the pun, jaded uh, to think that it's anything but a but a staged event. And I will continue. Look, if you want, in the third hour of the show, I'll, you know, we'll get the video out and we'll get the clicker, and we'll do some uh, some telestrator action and some, you know, Sapruder backwards and forwards running of the tape, and I'll prove to you that the whole thing was a sham. All right, so I I personally don't care either way because I think all those people in there, some very talented, but to me, mm. they're all kind of – I miss Ricky Gervais. I mean, Ricky Gervais used to do some phenomenal stuff there. Yeah, nobody, nobody uh, tried to kill Ricky Gervais, and he was much crueler yes, than was. Chris Rock said. And well, uh, funny, by the way. Yes. And that's – you know what? That comes with the territory. Now, put aside what he said specifically, but being made fun of as a celebrity – by other celebrities being roasted by your peers is part of the gig when you're a public figure. Now, that said, again, if somebody has a medical condition, like somebody now making a Bruce Willis joke about aphasia, I mean, it's just, it's not funny. It's just cruel. You can talk about a bad movie they were in or a bad choice they made. Like I'm sure people give Hugh Grant shit about he and divine Brown 20, 30 years ago, but you just, there's a line they don't cross, not that Chris Rock deserved to get hit, but Ricky Gervais is mean-spirited and so bitchy and so funny, but he doesn't cross the line of making fun of something that you really can't help, like a medical condition. And I, 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 I can never remember the name of the condition that Jada has, Jada Pinkett has, but that's the difference. But still, no one's ever challenged Ricky Gervais to a fight after the Golden Globes or out in the parking lot. Just comes with the territory. Do you think we landed on the moon? No. <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> Plus, that was, you know, 53 what, was, years ago. Was JFK shot by what's-his-nose up in the balcony? By Lee Harvey Oswald in the Texas Book Depository. Um, <laughs> look, I saw Seinfeld with the, uh, the magic loogie. I know that it must have been a second spitter on the grassy knoll. <laughs> It's a great episode, friends, if you haven't seen that one. It's with Keith Hernandez. Look, I think, it, like I said, it's, uh, look, we all, I don't know. It's just, I don't, I don't know. I just don't, like, like I said, I, I had no interest in the, in the show. I was on Twitter when it all went down. 
And like everybody else, I was laughing hysterically going, this is, this is fantastic because it's just hysterical. And, you know, I don't really have any real sympathy for any of the people in that crowd because they are, they're all, I mean, they're talented, but they're rich people. They live in a, they live in a different fucking planet than the rest of us to the point where, you know, whether, see, I don't, I don't know. That'd be pretty risky for the Academy Awards to stage something like that. I would have to say Will Smith and Chris Rock, who were both pretty fucking wealthy. They had they had to pay them. They'd have to sign all this shit. There's a lot of liability involved there. I mean, but to me, for Will Smith and Chris Rock and Jada to stage this. No, I don't think Jada a, was vivid. Well, if you look at her reaction when the joke was told, she's well, then how how would how would Will do that? With that, and I just think with the political divide in this country right now, and the and the and the image that it portrayed, and the fact that you know, you know, they weren't escorted. He wasn't escorted outside of the building, and then the whole disgusting part of it that he stays there. He there was it really was assault in, in a lot of ways, and then he wins the award, and then he cries, and then this video of the post party thing, and Will Smith is dancing his fucking ass off. And, you know, from people hugging. I mean, to me, the whole thing was, it's just, even without the incident, the fucking show is a shit show. It sure is. And it just made it more of a disgusting, to me, it, it reminded like, you know, the, the Caliglia, the old Roman, you know, the Caesar days. Just people, just disgusting wealth, and they're just, you know, pissing on. You know, it's like I said, there's people dying in, 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 in Europe right now. The people are getting slaughtered. There have been people getting slaughtered in Syria and in, in northern and middle Africa for years now. Was this to me it's it's so disgusting. And the wealth and they just basically it's a shit show. And fucking I just can't stand this. I don't give a shit. So to me, it was comedy for me. That was hysterical. That was great. If it was staged, Rob, bravo. If it wasn't staged I still don't care because they're all fucking loaded and they don't give a shit. And well, it, it made it all, if it's all about the Oscars, I mean, like I said, uh, I just think it's if, bullshit. If it wasn't staged, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it was genuine. I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility. I mean, look, y- you watch the video and you you hear Rock make the joke and they immediately turn the camera to Jada Pinkett, who looks really pissed. And there's Will laughing. And what I think happened is he's laughing. He looks over at his wife, and she's giving him the eye. And he's like, ooh, I shouldn't have been laughing at that. What can I do to, to redeem myself? Because i got to live with this woman with our open marriage. And then he's then he goes and proceeds to take his revenge on, the, on Chris Rock. Uh, so, like mean, Will said, love will make you do some crazy shit. And then, like I said, you see the arguments from people who have been domestically abused by people and saying that doesn't give people an excuse to smack the shit out of other people, too. So anyway, let's move on. Um, It was a shit show regardless, staged or not. uh, And I do believe we did go to the moon, folks. So as do I. I mean, I saw Capricorn one, but I I believe that uh, Apollo 13 is they didn't even get to the moon. And it's the greatest fucking movie about the Apollo movies. Oh, by I mean, the way, go ahead. I say real quick, when you watch a movie now, like Capricorn 1 featuring OJ, do you, do you feel a little icky? Well, I'll tell you what. I think the Naked Gun movies are some of the best fucking shit that's ever been filmed. 
So you watch it, you don't Even feel with that cold-blooded murder in it. You don't feel any remorse thinking they're funny. Because I, I don't. The Naked Gun movies? Yeah. They're fucking brilliant. They're, I love them. I, I don't, I don't now, think it. Don't OJ want... had a very small, tiny part in those movies. Right. Okay? He wasn't the 99% of those movies. Right. Okay? He wasn't Rico Palazzo. Yeah. <laughs> Just so many great things in those movies. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't watch it and don't think you know, less of myself. No, I mean, like I said, and folks, we were an hour into the show and we've talked about Lawrence Taylor and that's the only thing about sports we've talked about so far. But, you know, it's the same thing it's like, you know, you know, Vince Neil, you know, basically, you know, killed somebody in a drunk driving accident and ruined two other people's lives and Motley Crue. And the guy, he's a rich millionaire singing, you know, Motley Crue. I mean, people still go see Motley Crue, even though if it was me and you, we'd be in fucking jail. Yep. So oh, anyway, yes. you want to talk about? I'm seeing. I'm looking at the notes here. You want to talk about nudity? Yes. Um, so we're going to move on now from Jada, Will, and Chris, and you know the fake moon landing. <laughs> Let's clear the palette, shall we? With this headline: Naked man says his drug dealer made him take off his clothes and walk down the street over a three hundred and fifty dollar debt. <laughs> There's a lot going on in that headline. Uh, he's giving new meaning to the walk of shame. David Shepard, 42, told South Carolina police, this is from, by the way, the New York Daily News, he was walking around naked because he owed his drug dealer $350 and the man needed, quote, to embarrass him, according to a police report published later. Uh, according to this report, Shepard was streaking around 7.30 Saturday evening when he was pointed out to police by a passerby. When police asked Shepard what he was doing, he explained the situation to cops and stated that the alleged drug pusher, quote, presented a firearm before telling the man to strip down and take a walk as penance for his debt. That's, that's like a Game of Thrones walk of shame sort of situation. <laughs> Shepard reportedly told police the dealer was a 25-year-old black male but wouldn't give up a name and did not wish to press charges. He also alleged that the dealer followed him down the street for a while in an SUV before pulling away. Shepard said he was never threatened by the alleged dealer. Police did not file charges against Shepard, whom they identified as the victim in their report. And now, as the postscript to this very sad tale, the smoking gun reported Shepard is, wait for it, a registered sex offender. Oh, no. Stemming from an incident when he was a teenager in Massachusetts. So maybe running around naked. I'm adding this was not because a drug dealer uh, wanted penance for his $350 debt, but be because, you know, that's kind of what, you know, got him in trouble in the first place. So if you see a naked man in your neighborhood, um, he's either a sex offender or he owes a drug dealer money. So either way, steer clear. <laughs> steer clear. <laughs> and one more for you. I'm waiting. Let me do this. I'll ask you this in my best uh, Bob Eubanks newlywed game way. Say, Paul, where's the wackiest place you have ever grabbed a snack? Where I've grabbed a snack? I don't mean like a restaurant. I mean the wackiest place, say, in your home where you've enjoyed. Oh, oh in the house. Snackage. Yeah, or at the office or wherever. So, all right, you're confusing me now. Where I've like, like, eat, like, if I have I had to like uh, hide in a closet eating a snack, or mm-hmm. have I wanted something really bad and I went to a certain location? No, no, no. To this get is not snack. like this is not a restaurant or a store where you can buy food. The wackiest okay. place you've had a snack. So I've actually eaten the snack. Yes. Wow. Can you go first? Uh, sure. I usually have one. Um, never. I, I usually have my snacks and. In- 
in the shower. I just kill two birds with one stone. Have a nice bag of Doritos or Cheetos right in the shower, no, and then the orangey don't. goo on my fingers. No, you don't. <laughs> Stop. Oh, wait. Yeah, my finger. Are you saying that I'm not telling the truth? Okay, well, uh, this is from studyfinds.org. You ready? The cause and the effect. Headline. Or, well, there's no headline here. It's just a study. A snack attack can come at any time, but where people choose to indulge their sweet tooth may surprise you. While eating in bed still ranks as the top spot to snack in secret, a new study reveals more than one in five people take a treat into the bathroom. So see, my showering with Cheetos, not so wacky. In a survey of 2,000 adults in the United Kingdom examining the strangest places people like to snack in private, over a fifth say they enjoy eating while taking a bath. While you might be able to argue these snackers are at least clean, other respondents admitted to some less hygienic habits. Specifically, 18% of the poll confessed to snacking, wait for it, while on the toilet. That, my friends, is one-stop shopping. Overall, the most common secret snacking spots are in bed, while driving, on the stairs, in the bathtub, and in a shed. On the stairs? Who... who who hides on the stairs while they eat? Anyway, another one in 10 admit to sneaking into their child's outdoor playhouse to have a snack in peace, and one in 20 have even enjoyed a treat while having sex. There's been some interesting revelations from this research, and the intriguing question is why do people tend to reach for a snack in a somewhat unconventional place, says psychologist Joe Hemmings, speaking on behalf of Pepperami which commissioned the poll in a statement. Sometimes just simply just snacking away from others can give you a moment of peace, to enjoy something in its purest form. While you may while many reach for a snacks as comfortable as a comforting habit, others would prefer not to know about their cravings. Either way, the locations speak for themselves of the lengths people will go to have a quick bite. Um, and I'll just skip now to the top twenty places that people snack in secret, according to this poll. Number one, the bed. Number two, while driving. Number three, on the stairs. Number four, in the bathtub. Uh, number five. In the shed. Number six, a public stairwell. Seven, on the turlet. Eight, in an elevator. Nine, in a storage room at work. Ten, during exercise. That's a wacky one. While you're exercising, you're having a snack. Again, I guess you're just jumping ahead to the, the end there. In the hot tub, in a laundry room, up in the attic, in a swimming pool, a public changing room. Gross. In a child's playhouse. Icky. A public toilet, in a closet, in the basement, and... If I gave you a hundred guesses, you wouldn't get number twenty. Number twenty inside a freezer room at work. I've done that. I used to work in produce. I yeah. used to have some of the berries and stuff in there. Yuck. Maybe a banana, but you wouldn't put the banana in the freezer. But I had stuff, a carrot. You wouldn't uh, fall for the banana in the tailpipe, would you? Yeah. I, I tell you what, I've never ever in my freaking 52 years, even when I was a baby in diapers, never ate a snack in the bathroom. No, me neither. Uh, that, 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 there's, there's a line there. There's Outside the bathroom is where the food goes in, and inside the bathroom is where the food goes out. Whew. All right. So I guess you didn't like my, uh, my flash story, huh? Uh, well, I read it. It was a, it wasn't bad, but it, it just lacked a certain killer ending. It was just, you know, Ezra Miller didn't like somebody singing. I forgot what even the song was and got outraged. <laughs> it was you a know, Will Smith bad. song. That's what it was. Yeah. 
It was one it was of Will's class, classics. Parents just don't understand. Oh, man. Good stuff, buddy. Good stuff. All right, well, everybody out there in Honcho Land, you can tweet at me and Rob uh, your favorite places or the weirdest place you've ever had a snack. Uh, yeah. Maybe you've had a snack at the Grammys or the Oscars. Maybe. Or Maybe a barbecue with Will Smith or Chris Rock. Please let us know. And if, if, if Will Smith, you know, smacked the hot dog out of your hand, uh, please let us know that also. Please do. All right, pal, we got a sports show to do here, and I believe there's a few basketball teams left out of the 6,432 that uh, were a part of this uh, March Madness tournament in college sports. The NCAA, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! As we uh, bid March adieu tomorrow, the final four is upon us, ladies and gentlemen. And those of you who had Gonzaga in your in your bracket, it's over, as it always is, at least for the last few years. Anyway, Mr. Cutie, let's take your views away. Uh, do you have an update of your special I do. bracket? Fantastic. Um, only one team We're still remains. waiting for you to post it. You haven't done it yet. Uh, I know. I, I suck. Uh, there's only one, one, one team still remaining, and that's Villanova, represented by the Dreamy. Oh, so dreamy Bradley Cooper. Otherwise, everyone else has been eliminated. But Bradley Cooper wasn't going to make it out of this round anyway, so my winner of my national champion from the famous alumni bracket, The Rock, he's going to have to wait till next year. Although Miami put up a pretty good showing against Kansas, but he'll have to wait till next year. All right, pal. Well done, by the way. I look forward to that segment coming back. All maybe, right, maybe so... Maybe episode 100. Yes. We have... Um, it's not chalky. It's certainly not the chalkiest of Final Fours, um, but it's all blue bud, old school teams. When you think um, historic college basketball programs, you, you don't get much more historic than Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, and even Villanova. And it it, it reeks somewhat of the college basketball or college football playoffs with Alabama, Ohio State. Clemson, Oklahoma, year after year after year. But the difference here is these four teams, first of all, they don't regularly get to the Final Four altogether, and they had to beat a whole bunch of other teams to get there as opposed to being preordained to be in the tournament. So it's there's a few nuggets, a few historical nuggets about this Final Four. First of all, in the, in the, in the long-storied ACC rivalries and in the conference rivalries, uh, Duke and North Carolina have never, and this floored me, have never met in the tournament. Wow. And so the first time they're going to meet in the tournament is for a chance to go to the national championship game. Fantastic. So the drama, the Oscar-worthy drama, Ooh. doesn't get much bigger. Um, it's also uh, the 13th trip to the Final Four for Coach K, which is a record. And this is the first time that every... Final Four team has at least one championship to their name. The first time that's ever happened. Really? Would you like to guess how many championships these four schools have combined? Please. Any guess? Just give me throw out a number. Oh, Less combined? than 25. Uh, 23. Close. 17. Thank you. Three for Villanova, three for Kansas, five for Duke, six for North Carolina. Uh, again, though, first time we've had four Final Four, all Final Four teams at least one championship to their name. And by the way, Rob, I just want yes. I want our fans to understand 
how real we are here at the honchos. Like, we don't set shit up like that where I said, Rob, ask me how many combined, and then I'll go look it up, and I'll say the exact number. So it'll right. make me look yeah, real don't. smart. Okay, we don't we, do we that like, shit here. We like to put our ignorance on full display for everyone. <laughs> we don't try to... There's no, you know, CGI Hollywoodization here of our show. We just put our warts and everything right out there for you in glorious high definition. Um, so... Uh, a few things before we get to my picks. Um, poor Villanova. We'll get to Jay Wright, the handsomest, best-dressed coach in uh, college basketball. Last year, they were without Colin Gillespie before they set off in their tournament run. This year, they're in the Final Four without another key player, and that's their second-leading scorer, uh, Justin Moore. So he has torn his Achilles, um, and now a team that already was only playing a six-man rotation – is now going to have a five-man rotation. And, and as the great Tony Kornheiser pointed out, this isn't Hoosiers. Okay? And so he's going to have to reach deep into his bench for players who have not not played much, uh, if at all. Well, they've played, obviously, this season, but they don't play much in the rotation. It was a heavy, you know, starters out there, bring a six-man in, bring some guys off the bench for a little bit of relief, but it was essentially ride or die with these six players. And now... He's got his starters, and he's going to have to start moving some pieces around. But if there's anyone that can do that, it would be uh, Jay Wright. He is the best coach left in the field. And I know he's in a field with Mike Krzyzewski, but Mike Krzyzewski, uh, not taking anything away from Coach K, one of the great coaches in sports, let alone basketball. But Coach K gets all the best talent every year. He's like Nick Saban in Alabama. He has a roster right now. His starting five will probably all be in the NBA next year. Mm -hmm. But Jay Wright gets guys that you've never heard of who, I mean, yes, a few of them do go on to great success in the NBA, but a lot of them, this is it for them. Um, but he manages year after year, the last five or six years, he's won two championships in the last five or six years, and he gets these players, he gets the most out of these players, and you look at the team, and you're like, this team is not a Final Four team, and yet here they are. So is he as decorated as Mike Krzyzewski? No. Is he as historic as Krzyzewski? No. But right now, given the ingredients he has to work with, you know, I think he's the best coach left in the field. However, that's a really tall task to go against a Kansas team that's much more talented with, again, uh, essentially a five-man, a five-deep roster on a team where you need five players, and then what do you do for a your bench. So, but if any, again, if anybody can squeeze another win out of this group, it's going to be Jay Wright. But I think that's going to be a tough, tough, tough sledding uh, for old, uh, old Jay Wright and his team. And oddly enough, there will be no sleds involved with yes, that matchup. There will be, there'll be no winter sports whatsoever. No indoor winter sports, no, no speed skating, no figure skating, no curling, no bobsledding, no nothing. All right. And now uh, allow me, please. My annual complaint in college basketball that it's just, besides just the proliferation of three-point shot attempts and, and the, the itchy finger, trigger fingers of the people who are taking these shots, it's also so many teams, when they have a lead, especially teams that aren't supposed to have a lead, they either get overly excited because they have the lead or they start to panic when they look and say, hey, we're not supposed to be in the lead. It, nobody, I mean, this is going back to Villanova. What they do really well 
is they slow teams down. They set the pace. They know they're usually undermanned and certainly don't have as deep a bench as they're the better teams. They slow the game down. They play great defense, and they say, at the end, when you start to foul us, because we're going to hold on to the ball as long as we can, we don't miss our free throws. And they led the nation in free throw percentage this season, which is why they can win games 50 to 44, like they beat Houston. Houston being held to 44 points is spectacular on Villanova's part. But you see a team like Miami against Kansas, which is, I watched that game. It was a great game until about five minutes into the second half, and then Kansas just reminded everybody they're Kansas. It was score the score was tied 40 to 40. For most of the game Miami had led. They weren't supposed to even be in the Elite 8, let alone lead Kansas a number 1 seed. The game is tied at 40. Okay, Kansas ties the game at 40. Miami gets the ball, it runs down the court and immediately jacks up a 3. Kansas gets the rebound, goes down the other way, score a 3 of their own. It's now 43 to 40 and they go on from that point the score, you know, it was like 47 to 15 at that point. So uh, that kind of a run. It was over for Miami because rather than just say, all right, we're tied. We're going to set the pace. They're more talented. They're bigger. They're faster. But we can play smarter. They just start chucking up threes when you don't have to. I understand. It's very, very exciting to make a three-pointer. But – they're high, they're high risk, high reward. So if you miss and the other team gets a chance to, you know, turn the game around, make the pace the, that they want to set, and they're better than you, once they set the pace and once they get the momentum, you're done. So I, I, it's just game after game where you see these teams have a chance for the upset or have a chance for the win, even whether it's an upset or not, doesn't matter, and just let it slip. They don't seem to understand. Do you, you don't. Think that falls on the co- the coaches, the, the style of coaching, the 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 game. I I think well, you know, you, you I'm sure a guy like Jim Laranega, you know, a guy like Jim Laranega, who's the coach of Miami, probably instills in his team exactly what I'm talking about. But these are you know 18 year old kids. Although in my in Miami's case, this is why I'm I'm not surprised they made it this far. They've got players who have been there for four, five, even six years. It's a Old, old, you know, 22, 23 years old. College basketball terms, they're old. It's an old, deep team that's been together a long time. And those teams tend to thrive in the tournament because they build up a chemistry. They know each other. They, they, you know, there is something to be said for teams that play together for many years. Those two championships that Wright won with Villanova were veteran teams, not one and duns. The, the landscape is still filled with one and done driven teams that came up short in the uh, the tournament. So, but they're still kids. And I think they, in this case, maybe they just got excited about the fact that they had the number one seed in their region on the ropes. And they just, you know, maybe it's, you know, the, the, I don't want to say the moment gets too big for them, but, you know, you get kind of excited. Like, all right, we're going to, we could win this game. And then you start, you know, making some bad decisions. But the the fundamentally sound teams don't let that happen. And the teams that are, you know, living and dying by the three, you don't need to make a three every shot, every time down the court, even if you're down by a couple points. At the end of the game, sure, when it's, when it's you know, do or die time, but not five minutes into the second half when the game is only tied. And you can, you know, you watch and you can just feel it. You can feel the momentum shifting away from the team that was winning. 
Sometimes it's just as simple as one missed shot. You're like, well, that's the end. If you had slowed it down and played a little smarter, play within yourself, take a breath, keep that pace that you've set. Do you think, Rob, that given the circumstances, everything you just said, and I got I got maybe two, three parts of this question. It's the same, uh, Take out the COVID years here for a second. But primarily, this is the same. It's a big stage. You know, uh, the kids are human beings. They're kids. Okay, right. and they're human beings. There's egos involved here, um, so so I mean the, the the question on the coaching here, and and I, I would imagine most of the programs outside of like the big ones like Villanova or, or Duke or UNC, most of the coaches are there for years, decades, or whatever. So the, a lot of the other coaches, a lot of teams like St. Petersburg, you look at the element of like a you know an underdog gets in there or whatever. So. Um, you know, when, when how how much of a program or a game plan that can be instilled, I think, like I said, you kind of roll the dice at these tournaments. Obviously, the, the top seeds, are they're your favorites. They should be there at the end. I mean, I look at this Final Four. It's just four phenomenal, you know, uh, schools, and this yeah. is going to be phenomenal for TV ratings and interest and everything else. And to be honest with you, these are four great teams on the floor. But when you talk about the guys who lost in the Elite Eight and everything else, when you get there, there's there's so much involved there, especially the spectacle of not only uh, playing on this level, but it's the TV, it's the media, it's the audience. Um, you wonder how much that plays into it. My other question is, most of these, most of these kids, by the time this tournament, the teams are seated and they get into it, as far as maybe the seniors and stuff, if they're going to get drafted into the NBA and so on and so forth, how they perform individually or on a team do you think that plays into how that actually might happen for a guy or a couple of personalities on that team where they, they, you think, okay, you should play this certain style because you, you could have had the upset if you played within the, uh, the game plan and just stayed there and then you see like the, the threes going up and it becomes a showcase and guys are just, you know, there's, now there's the, 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 the team separates into individuals. Mm -hmm. And then maybe rightfully so, Rob, those teams should be eliminated. Those teams should not advance right. and that's why you have these uh four squads here that are ultimately the best um i don't think we had really any you know there's, there's, we don't have we obviously don't have a an underdog or an upset like st petersburg is not in the final four no. you know what i'm saying so the best of the best is really in uh these last two games here this week and so i'm just kind of curious in terms of you know, well, we, we sometimes talk about, like in the NFL, we don't know what goes on on the sidelines. We don't know what's going on there. Because even the players are one thing being kids, but if you're a coach in that situation, I'm sure you can get caught up in the emotions. You make mistakes. Um, you know, how to play guys. Who's injured? Who's at full strength? Where's everybody as far as being almost fouled out? All these different things that come into the game. But I just kind of wanted to throw that at you in terms of if there's anything you may have noticed with this run towards this tournament, which is kind of like a back-to-normal tournament after the past two years. I mean, I didn't notice anything different other than, you know, the crowds and, and not all playing in one city like they played the whole thing in Indianapolis last year. But I think you're right. If there's a player who decides, this is my ticket to the NBA, I'm going to start showcasing my NBA game, my individual game as opposed to the team game, then not only – should they be eliminated, but they will be eliminated because once you get out of that team concept, the whole team falls apart. Um, I think that does happen. I think the best players, when they go to the NBA, part of the reason why they're so good is because they fit their game. The ones that are, that go from successful college players to successful 
NBA players in terms of winning in the playoffs, going deep in the playoffs, winning a championship is you know how to make, you might be the biggest star, but you remember that there's four other guys in the court with you. And you make sure that your game fits into the scheme and not the scheme fits into you. And I didn't see any of that. I mean, I didn't see really much of that at all. I mean, players all of a sudden just doing their own thing. Um, more so what I said before, which is players who you're never going to see again, you know, except that you have to know them outside of the, outside of the sport, just kind of, again, the moment doesn't become too big for them. It's just, they sort of forget that it's, it's okay that you're winning. They don't, they, it's almost like they get reminded, Hey, you're not supposed to be winning. And then the game falls apart. Um, hey, don't tell me, but it's sort of like when a pitcher is throwing a no hitter. You don't talk about the no hitter while it's going on. It's almost as like, as soon as the players like a Miami, who's, you know, a 10 seed versus Kansas, a one seed, as soon as they look up at the scoreboard, they're like, Oh shit, we're winning. That's not supposed to happen. And then they fall apart. So, um, but it, this is going to be, as you said, it's going to be a hell of a final four. Um, it's been a pretty good tournament. And this is a year where there was no clear favorite. Nobody came in as the overwhelming favorite to win the whole thing. I mean, look, we had so many, so much movement in the top 25 this year. It's one of those wild west open forum kind of college basketball years where anybody can win anybody except Gonzaga, of course. And, and, and again, me with as Charlie Brown, Lucy with the football is Gonzaga and here comes old dopey Chaz Brown running up to the football thinking well this is going to be the year that I make contact with the football and send it over the uprights and once again I'm laying flat on my ass uh, with Lucy laughing holding the football over her head and I say this and next year I'll be the same schmuck that picks Gonzaga to go far in the tournament oh buddy how you doing by the way Hey man, my uh, my I, I I was out of the running in my my work bracket, you know, weeks ago. I mean, it, as soon as well, first of all, I had Kentucky and Tennessee and Iowa in the final four. So after the first couple of days, they were all cooked. So my bracket was in shambles like everyone else. But I had Gonzaga going all the way. So I thought I'm I'm good. At least I'll get to the final four. And <clears throat> that didn't happen. So um, I'm okay. I'm recovering. I'm doing some, you know, meditating and some deep breathing exercises and listening to my biorhythms and biorhythm feedback, and I should be fine. So who's cutting down the nets, buddy? All right, so uh, you've got the first game, I think. I don't know if this is what order this is in, but in the Duke-UNC game, um, Duke's on a roll, and they've been on a roll since UNC ruined uh, Coach K's final game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Um, they have not lost since that game, and I don't think they're going to bookend the winning streak by losing yet again to UNC. So I'm going to take Duke in that one. Uh, Kansas should win easily over Villanova, especially with the short bench and not having their second leading scorer in, in uh, Justin Moore. But you never count out Villanova and Coach Wright, uh, especially with a week to prepare. So I think Kansas will win, but barely. So I have Duke and Kansas in the final game. Um, they're pretty even. Pretty even with a slight talent edge. I mean, just ever so slight. I can't see how the part of my fingers are apart, but they're pretty far. They're pretty close together. Uh, slight talent edge, Duke. Plus, in a match of Coach K versus Bill Self, who's a notorious gagger in the NCAA tournament, um, 
you know, give me Coach K. These kids, these Duke kids are on a crusade. I think Mike Shashevsky finishes his career with his sixth title at Duke. So I think by the time we meet again, we'll be talking about Duke as the 2022 national champion. All right, I completely 100% disagree with you. Right, I would say that said, congratulations, Villanova, on winning the national championship. I'm going to take uh, UNC versus Villanova, and UNC takes the whole damn thing. That's I, think, I, right. I, I, I like the squad, I like the kids, and I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. But we'll be watching. That's the important thing. It's going to be entertaining. And you know what? I have no rooting interest except to be entertained. So bring I it on. I won't be watching either of the games on Saturday because I will be traveling to Foxborough. So um, well, but I will look at the highlights. I'll be sure. I'll be texting you after every good play. Please, but just don't do that between the hours of 9 and 11.30. That's 9 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. No, 9 p.m. and 11.30 p.m. <laughs> okay. I promise I won't. All right. Um, all right, so that's it. That's it. That's, that's it. That's all that's going on. Nothing else important in the NCAA KKK uh, these days, right? Not really. And, and I'm sorry. I mean, we'll get uh, into the, the you know college baseball season soon, I'm sure. And, and I know you love college soccer. And women's softball yeah. and some field hockey. All that stuff. All of it. Bring it on. That's what? that's you know that's the, this, the third hour of every show. I do a full breakdown of all the college sports and the uh, aquatics. The aquatics, college aquatics. Of Very competitive. Track and field. You name it. I'm Mr. I'm Johnny College. Johnny. All I'm right, Johnny College. Johnny College, baby. All right, so uh, here we are. Another, uh, what, was, what was the episode again? It's 56, right? Lawrence Taylor, right? 56, yes. Yeah, okay, and we're talking, and we're going to talk some more football again. Some more niffle. So, I, you know, I, I got to get these off the pay, guys off the payroll, but I can't. So, ladies and gentlemen, once again, collecting more money from the sports haunches than me and Rob ever will, our NFL experts, as we talk a little of the National Meteorology League right here on the Sports Honcho. Al, you old son of a bitch. How you doing? How do you feel about that call today? I mean, the Dolphins, fourth and three play on their 30-yard line with only 34 seconds to go. How do you think I feel? Betrayed? Bewildered? This is very exciting. Yeah, it is, fella. Oh, right on, amigo. Damn straight. Damn straight. Fucking A. Fucking A, right. There's been a break. We don't have a breaking news uh, sounder, but we have the story, so I have no details. But uh, Bruce Arians has retired from coaching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and now Todd Bowles will take over, which suggests to me that the retirement, quote unquote, of one Thomas uh, Edward Brady was partially motivated by displeasure with who was running the team and how the team was being run. And he came back and, you know, in the battle of coach versus quarterback, in this case, if you're not Bill Belichick, quarterback wins. So I I, I, I have no, this is just me speculating, but it seems like things were in motion. That's what, that's why he left. And now that he's back and Bruce Arians is retiring without, I mean, normally people talk about a little bit, there's no health problems as far as I know. He's going to move to the front office. So he's not leaving the team. He's still going to work for the team, probably because he's under contract to do so. But he won't be coaching. And again, I haven't. I, I, this is just the blurb that I saw on my phone. Uh, I haven't read the story, obviously, because I'm sitting here talking to you all. But that's the big news from the NFL. Wow. 
Wow. So, what are they going to do? Bulls gets another chance to coach with a much better team than the J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets. Jets. Ex-Redskin, by the way. Just give him a dick. Never a commander. Never a commander. Never wore the commander's uniform or the woofed skins uniform. Um, all right. So other than that, um, there's just a, a, a little hodgepodge here. And for Paul, I have a full, and when I say full, I mean a minute and a half preview of the USFL, including why they're playing all their games in Birmingham. But I'll save that till the end of the segment. Fantastic. All I'm right. So, so not interested, but fantastic. Well, I don't care if you are or not. <laughs> I'm interested. It's this show is not about me anyway. It's about our wonderful listeners. I'm yes. sure we have just as many USL fans as we do MLS fans. Well, who, there are eight teams, and there are eight people excited about the USFL. So see, everybody gets their own team woo-hoo! to root for. All right, uh, the NFL has um, their suckers, and they have decided boo hoo to change the overtime rule for the postseason. Because enough Buffalo Bills fans cried and cried and cried about, you know, not having a chance to, after one of the greatest playoff games ever, didn't have a chance in overtime because old Patty Mahomes and the Chiefs scored a touchdown. And a boo-hoo, a collective boo-hoo could be here heard from Erie County. Um, I hate the fact that they want to change the overtime rule. It should just be overtime. You score a touchdown, you're done. Play some defense. They're playing offense. You play defense. They score a touchdown. That's on you as much as it's on them. But you and I don't make the rules. So the proposed change, again, just for the playoffs, is a mandatory possession overtime. So uh, each team is guaranteed a possession overtime no matter what happens. So if the if it, going back to the Chiefs scenario, the Chiefs score a touchdown, the Bills still get the ball. And then once that happens, if the Chiefs or the Bills score a touchdown as well, then it goes back to next score wins. But this way, both teams have the possibility of getting the football in overtime. Not in, not in the regular season, only in the playoffs. And I say, you know, again, unnecessary. So what, every time a team, there's a perceived injustice in overtime, they're going to continue to tweak the rules. And there were other proposals that the NFL was considering, which I won't get into, but it's more, more and more looking like, you know, the gimmicky kind of overtimes we see both in college football and the non-football sports. So that's your overtime rule, friends, at least until another team feels they've gotten jobbed uh, by the NFL. Uh, shall I continue? Do you have anything you want to add there? Uh, it's out of my hands. Yeah. So, okay, I just don't want to don't want to run over you. In I mean, my... for me, if, uh, you know, I'm 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 actually okay with it. I mean, because most look ninety ninety nine ninety nine percent, maybe ninety eight point three. I don't know what the exact percentage is, Rob. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but most of the games end before the clock runs out. There's not a lot of overtime games. No, but and, and, really and in the excited. playoffs where it's more important. You know, if it's a tie in the regular season, nobody cares. Well, there's a little bit of care. But, you know, again, you're paid to play offense and defense. If you didn't if you didn't win the coin toss, and I think it's like high 50s, low 60s in the playoffs, the team who wins the coin toss wins the game. You know, it's, all right, here's, here's a great example for me, right? It's like the Bills and the Chiefs last year, right? Real quick, okay? Bills should have closed that game out. They shouldn't yeah. have went to overtime. 
So right. you know what? It's your fault. Too bad. You lost. Play defense. Thank Don't you. cry and get, you know, the overtime rule changed. Thank you. We're such caring and sympathetic people here at the Honchos, <laughs> aren't we? Full of love and, you know, kindness. All right. Uh, believe it or not, despite all the evidence that Deshaun Watson may not be indicted, but he's not been a very nice person. He's been a bad boy. I don't think 22 people are lying about his misconduct, but those are allegations, no charges, no convictions, no jail time, no nothing, no liability in a civil suit, nothing. So Roger Goodell has said he still could face discipline. The the league meetings are happening this week, so there's a lot of people yakking about things, including Goodell talking about Sean Watson saying he could face discipline, but the commissioner's exempt list is unlikely. That's the naughty list for people who are mostly domestic violence, um, people who have been accused, maybe not charged, but accused of domestic violence. They're not on the injured list, they're on the exempt list, which means you're not playing, and I believe your salary doesn't count against the salary cap. It's kind of like you're you're in timeout. Um, I don't know what Goodell is waiting on, because he's knocked people out for far less than uh, 22 massage therapists and the claims which even make me blush as some of the things that Deshaun Watson has been alleged to have done. You know, even players who have turned out to have done nothing, the allegations go away or there's no charges pressed or the people decide not to testify, they still get dinged for a few games. So I'm not sure what he's waiting on. Now, I know he's one of the faces of the league, Deshaun Watson, but it just it strikes me as odd that what investigation is he doing? I don't understand. What's he waiting? I think he's trying to get Robert Kraft to lead the investigation. Yeah, wouldn't that be funny? (laughs) Robert Kraft would say, "Hey, and not only did I find nothing wrong, but uh, look, I have 22 new massage therapists. (laughs) Good time." So you just look. You you were presiding over a league that just gave him the world's biggest NFL guaranteed contract, and the fact that you're dragging your feet in this whole suspension thing. Those two things make you look – I mean, look, Roger Goodell already looks foolish. The league looks foolish. There's just shot after shot against the National Football League. But you got to do something. You, you just can't continue to say, well, we're thinking about it. There may be something. We're looking into it. After you've presided over a league that just handed out a $230 million guaranteed contract, if you don't do anything, if you say at the end of the rainbow, well, we don't have enough evidence. We're not going to do anything – Wow, does that look bad for you? They because don't care, Robert. Like, I mean, they, they just don't. My, my feeling is, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, which is why I would, if, I would be fine, as I've told you many times, if they would come out and say, this is a business, we play football, we don't care what kind of person you are. Get on the field, put on a helmet, go pound someone into locks, and we're going to pay you big bucks. This is not a church This is not a charity organization. This is not the United Way. We play football here, and as long as you're not in jail and you haven't killed anybody, here. Here's some money. Go play. But they don't say that. That's my problem with it is is you you put on this big act, this big song and dance routine about how you're concerned about off-the-field behavior and the character of your players and protecting you know, victims of abuse, and and yet you don't really do anything about it. So don't tell us that you care. Just say we don't give a shit. 
We don't give a shit if you get a concussion. We don't give a shit if you get spinal injuries. We like you, you put on the helmet and you go out and play. We give you a lot of money and shut it. Propaganda. Propaganda. It'd be like somebody sitting in the audience of an award show and that person getting up, assaulting somebody, and then receiving an award for it afterwards. You mean the big standing ovation he got when he got the when he got his best actor Oscar? That was a little uncomfortable. <laughs> um Yeah, look, I mean, you know, Rob, I love you. You know I I do love you, and I and I love most fans of the NFL. But at this stage in 2022, with everything from racism to um concussions to you know abuse, I mean it's 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 in all sports sports, domestic violence and everything else and the criminal activity and, and criminals of of all races, backgrounds and colors being allowed to play and perform and the, the it's the bottom line, man. They don't care and you know what? Everybody keeps coming out and buying tickets because the one thing that all of these sports have done is they they put the game up on the pedestal and that as long as they keep the game in the highlight and the and the Super Bowl trophy and the Stanley Cup is that is the big thing. All that's the that's the distraction from all the bad stuff. I mean, you know? but that's what I'm saying. If 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 Goodell came out tomorrow and said, "All right, look, everyone, all this all this Michigan <laughs> yeah, about it's all bullshit. It's all it's all bullshit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everything I say is total bullshit." I'd be like, "All right." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like all the fans. Yeah, no, we know, Rob. It's all right. Go ahead. Let's kick off. (laughs) I'm not saying I don't care about victims of domestic violence. Exactly. Or head injuries or or anything. I care deeply about that. It's all terrible. But if the NFL doesn't want to do anything about it, okay. You know, uh, I'm not going to lie to you and say I'm I'm just as full of bullshit if I'm like, well, I'll never... Watch the NFL again because of the criminal element. And get the fuck out of here. I'm going to watch an inch from the television set, drooling all over myself like I have for the last 40-plus years and love it and not look at him and go, well, I don't know. Can I get a dossier in each one of these players? I want to make sure they're all choir boys. Don't care. I- I'm not looking to them for guidance or education or religion or life lessons. I just want them to pound each other into locks on the frozen tundra. That's good enough for me. I don't so, need anything else. I wonder if there's if there's if you can think real quick if there's a, any of the top pro leagues or any league that you can think of that you actually think is just run legit to the point, perfect, run well. No. No. <laughs> None of them. Well, no, I'll, I'll take it back. The one I think that makes the smartest decisions and and is very much committed to Keeping the lights on, as I've said all during the COVID time, is the NHL and the way they run things. Yeah, but um, but yeah. and Come I realize on. really the NHL. No. I mean, they're horrible saying, too. But they're the least horrible, <laughs> and at least at least they put the business out there first before. Oh anything come on. Else. They do. So Tom Wilson comes within inches of almost killing Artemi oh, Panarin. And two nights were, later, wait. it's on MS, M, NBC. They didn't do anything because they knew they were going to – because they don't get any – oh, my God. The NHL Players Association green. holds hands during all the contracts, and every night these go these guys go out and try to fucking 
fucking kill each other on the ice. Yeah, but I'm not saying that they're they're clean. I'm just saying that you asked me if they're run legitimately, and I say none of them are. But if they're, they're all run very clubs, well, Robert. They make millions, if not billions. Of well, I thought that's what you were asking me. Yeah, but I'm I'm just saying in terms of moral and oh, all, all of them. No, no, all of them pay lip service to. The, no, okay, I misunderstood what you asked. Yeah. All of them pay lip service to it. They're all full of. I wish they would all come out. Bettman and Manfred and Goodell and Adam Silver and, and, and if you want, you know, whoever's running the MLS. I like the United Nations. Come out, we come care, out today. But we're listen, really not going to do anything. Listen, you know what we care about? We care about the fact that you watch us on TV. And you're not going anywhere, no matter how much you protest. You ain't going anywhere. You're asking me right there on that couch watching us or right there in the stands watching us. And we could, you know what? We could go out onto the court and smack our own mothers. Here's an idea. We're not even going to let you into the stands during the pandemic, right? (laughs) But we're still going to charge you to watch us on TV. We could kick a dog, smack our own mothers, and you're still going to watch us. So what are we doing here? What's with the facade? We're firing everybody who comes up with all these marketing campaigns about how charitable and wonderful we are. We just want your money. Yeah, and all you got to do is maybe, you know, uh, this fall you check out the sales of Deshaun Watson jerseys. You think people in Cleveland who are like, wow, Deshaun Watson fell into our laps? We don't care. If Cleveland, God forbid, is holding the Vince Lombardi trophy next February (laughs) – they're not gonna say to they're not gonna say to Sean Watson, so uh do you feel do you have any cognitive dissonance knowing that you may have sexually assaulted twenty two women, but here you are holding Lombardi trophy? No one's gonna mention that. No one in Cleveland's gonna go, I was happy. I can't be happy about the Super Bowl win because this guy's a clown. No, nobody's gonna care. They're gonna burn Cleveland to the ground <laughs> in celebrating a Super Bowl title. They're gonna put a giant statue. Of Deshaun Watson outside of Ugh. whatever the name of their stadium is, Progressive Out, Field. Outside of uh, uh, the Masseuse Palace in downtown right. Cleveland. The only person that's going to care is Baker Mayfield because he's going to be left off the train wherever he's playing next year. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Just just please, spare me. Spare me. Wow, I, you know what? This has been a very therapeutic evening. I told you, buddy. That's what this show's about. See, uh, folks, I wish you could – I mean – Maybe in 2025 we'll get the video going here, but like I'm, I'm leaning back here in my my office chair, and I, I just you know you can hear in my soft voice. I said, Rob, they don't care, Rob. And then Rob, I let Rob go at it, man. Get it off your chest, brother. Just it's all bullshit. Hey, I almost said speaking of bullshit. <laughs> speaking of bullshit, let's talk that's about the USFL. Not, that's not the uh, hold on. That's <laughs> not the segue I wanted to make. <laughs> Um, because I was going to talk about the Rooney rule. Oh, so yeah. not speaking of bullshit, although some people do think the, the Rooney rule is smells of bullshinery, but they've tweaked it. Obviously there's a problem in the NFL with representation and their coaching. So the Rooney rule is they're tightening the screws on the Rooney rule a bit and not letting players or letting teams play fast and loose with the requirement that you interview minority candidates um, to Three new enhancements to the Rooney Rule. Quickly, um, now women are included, so it's not just minority candidates. You can interview minority candidates or female candidates for coaching jobs and satisfy the Rooney Rule. Um, the interviews must be in person. 
So, which is another way that teams get around the whole Rooney rule thing. They talk to a coach on the phone and say, well, that was our interview. No, they have to be in person. The idea is if you're not going to hire the coach or the person of color or the woman, you give them the interview experience, you hear them out and help them, you know, find another job. And then finally, there's this one, which uh, this one, I don't want to go down the road of arguing about this, but now there's a requirement for all the teams to hire a minority, a minority coach, again, either a person of color or a woman, to serve as an offensive assistant working closely with the head coach, offensive coordinator, and other offensive assistant coaches. So now it's not just interview head coach, they're leaving alone. And and the big coordinator jobs, offensive, defensive, special teams coordinator, but now you have to hire somebody on your staff. Now, you're, no one's losing a job because of this. You can have a 1,000 coaches. The NFL is filled with – the assistant to the assistant to the assistant quality control coach. So you can make up a position. I never really understood how many people are allowed to be on an NFL team sideline. It, it, it's almost as many coaches as there are players. So before people, you know, start burning down the NFL with their pitchforks and torches, they're not taking a job from somebody else and giving it to a woman or a person of color. It's just you got to put someone on the staff. Even if you have to make up a position – and that way they start to gain the experience and climb the ladder and so on and so forth. So um, there is some merit there, but I'm just, I'm waiting. I'm sitting here with my popcorn in hand, waiting for the inevitable, you know, reverse racism. And how dare you take jobs away from other people just to, you know, push an agenda, blah, blah, blah. Get the fuck out of here. They can have, a th- again, 53 players, they can have 53 coaches. All they're trying, all that the NFL is trying to do is say, look, we're going to put you on the staff. You'll learn from the, some of the best. Move up through the ranks, get some experience. Boom, you get a coaching job. But, you know, it's just me. Call me crazy. But I think, you know, if you can just invent a job, give it to someone for experience, hey, nobody loses. I like this better than we're going to award draft picks to teams who make these hires because then now the playing field becomes unbalanced and then you have questionable hires and – Nobody it's just a client me. fucking shame. There is a Rooney rule. You should yeah, be here. Well, that's we we we've we've been down that road. Yes, we it. have. Episode what is that? So, and now finally, as we wrap this up, just a quickly, the USFL. We talked about how many teams there are. I have the list of cities and the teams. Are you ready? Two divisions, four teams each. You've got the Michigan Panthers, New Jersey Generals, Philadelphia Stars, and Pittsburgh Maulers. And I've seen the uniforms. They are chef's kiss just as good as they were back in the mid-'80s. And then the Southern Division, Birmingham Stallions, Houston Gamblers, New Orleans Breakers, and the Tampa Bay Bandits. All Bandits, not Band-Aids. All will be playing in Birmingham because the focus on the USFL, and this is smart, is they're going to cut down the travel costs, and their goal for the USFL is not people watching in the stands. It's getting their product on TV. So they don't care about playing in your city. They just want the TV exposure, which they're going to have. It's a lot cheaper to do that if all the teams are playing in the same place. Now, for the playoffs, because of some scheduling conflict, all the playoffs will be held in the tiny but historic Tom Benson Stadium at the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. So, there you go. And uh, play begins in April, next month. Spring football. Uh, if those of you that are excited about this, again, the five or six other people besides me, um, don't get too attached to the USFL. We'll be talking next year about how the USFL is on the in the elephant graveyard of spring football leagues that tried to fill the 
what ha- whatever super- happened to the um the European NFL league? That went away. That was pretty good. The the um the World League of America the Wolof. The World League of American Football with Birmingham, um, and they were all like soccer, premier soccer league cities. Yeah, they had a, a team in Germany. Yeah, they had a team in Spain, I believe. Shame. Yeah, they had pretty cool uniforms, pretty cool team names. They but, went crazy when they did, you yeah. know, kickoffs and field goals. Right. It went away. Yeah. The, the NFL said this was nice to try to develop an international. Probably very game. expensive. Very expensive. But, well, if anybody can absorb massive losses, it's the NFL. But, well, you know the old saying, Rob. The richest please, people I, in the world are some of the tightest people with their money. Yeah, you know. And that's why they're so filthy rich. Isn't it funny that the people that have the least to give tend to be the most generous? And the people that have the most, because they didn't get rich by giving all their money away, tend to be the least charitable. Wacky. Everybody, everybody needs a yacht. Yep, everybody does. Well, Remember, look, I, I wish them a lot of good luck. I mean... The two greatest days of your life, the day you buy a boat and the day you sell the boat. You know, this whole everything in the same... You know, it's funny, you know, you know us, all of those who have... Uh, of us who have survived the pandemic are used to these... Um, all the teams in one area, NHL fans, the summer tournament. I mean, y- you know, with every opportunity to keep a league running or finding a new way it's like oh look hey this kind of work hey believe it or not people tuned in so i think that's a smart business model here from the nfl uh who's backing i guess the us so i don't know i don't give a shit but if it, if it works out i don't think the nfl has anything to do with the usfl no, this is not, are you this sure? is not they ha- no they have to because you can't have an nfl uh any kind of football league in the united states of america without the national football league's blessing oh no you can't football no uh, way. Don't, you don't. They're they can't stop a league from forming. Now you can't use obviously their uniforms or logos. You probably can't play Who's in, the same... in this league. What? Who, who are these players? Who are they playing? Who's they're, playing? They had a draft. They're gonna. They drafted players who you know weren't gonna be drafted by, um, the pro teams. Actually, their draft was held in secret. Like it was big extravaganza, like the it's NFL has. Way too much. Time. If the USFL was smart, if they really wanted to make a serious goal, like any other league, they would follow the AFL and the old USFL model, which is the biggest stars in college that are coming out. So you're Aiden Hutchinson, Kevon Thibodeau, and Malik Willis, and Kenny Pickett, and all the guys are projected to go in the top twenty of the NFL draft, and just give them a bunch of cash and say, "Come play for us." That's how the uh, Joe Namath went to the AFL at first because they were like, here's a big pile of money. Don't go to the NFL. Come here. What's going the on AFL. with the uh, the underwear league? The ladies playing last year. No idea. That's, uh, that'll be a summertime show. A full breakdown <laughs> of the lingerie league. <laughs> All right. We ready to go? We're ready. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a little... Hockey, hardwood, and hardball talk right here on the Sports Conchos. Broadcasting live from the great states of Maryland and Long Island. Did you know Long Island's a state now, ladies and gentlemen? Woohoo! All right. All the gazillionaires in baseball start playing next week. Very exciting. All the millionaires in the NHL are 
trying to hurt each other on the ice. Trying to take everybody's star players out before the playoffs start here. That's just kind of the norm. And in basketball, man, the, the Lakers, just, the English side the Lakers are just getting abused off the court. And, and now all the vaccination rules are gone, yep. which is uh, the timing of this is just unbelievable. And I knew it was going to happen. And now all the people, let's, I can only speak for New York, uh, the people that were fired because they weren't vaccinated now want their jobs back. And Rob, can you blame them? Here come the lawsuits. Well, look, um, given where we are in the show, let's face it. it, There's really nothing happening. Baseball hasn't started yet. Basketball is winding down. (laughs) The one thing I did want to talk to you, we'll we'll get more into the playoffs when the games are coming. See, I fucking love. I love, see, this, I hope you fans out there appreciate how honest me and Rob are. We don't fucking you know, feel like I'm walking like, something. We're, we're not going to fucking waste time. We're not, that's why we're not talking about. Look, you brought the Lakers. They're only interesting now because now they're out of the playoffs. But I did want to talk about one thing with you, and it's hockey-related. This story in The Athletic um, by Pierre Lebrun, which is French for the Brun, um, this idea of a salary cap, extending the salary cap into the playoffs. And, and the two yeah, the two reasons for this were the 2015 playoffs when Patrick Kane was – Injured, and when you're injured and you're you get a salary cap exemption for players on long-term injured reserve, so you can you know fill your bench with players in the event that again you're you have too many players who are injured. But then he came back sooner than expected, and they had the the exemption, the salary cap exemption. So they had players, and they had Patrick Kane. The Lightning did the same thing with Nikita Kucherov last year. Both of which, by the way, are both teams playing within the rules it was perfectly legal. But now they're sort of floating this notion of maybe we should have a salary cap extend into the postseason. So the same rules you play by in the regular season, you have to play in the postseason. Wow. Uh, this is nothing that's wow. that's on the horizon, nothing imminent. It's just, you know, Bill it's Daly was talking it about is. it. Pierre Lebron at the Athletic has just created some clickbait. Yeah, but I just want to get your opinion on that. I, I, I think, I don't know, it, it seems kind of ridiculous. But because Bill Daly's talking about it, you know, you know deputy it, commissioner of the NHL, for those who don't know who Bill you know, Daly is, when, when it's an interesting concept. Well, if, the, I, if, this, if these guys are on the roster, mm-hmm. game one, and they get injured, I don't you, let them play. I don't give a shit. I, you know, it's so funny. The only people that complain about this shit, if it was your team, you would sit in the corner or on the toilet with a snack, like we talked about earlier, and you wouldn't say a goddamn word about it. Like, Tampa Bay Lightning fans, they weren't going to say nothing. And if, if, if Panarin was out and the Ranger fans, you know, I mean, we wouldn't say nothing. We want our best guy in it. Let the fucking billionaires and the NHLPA and sort that out. But I... I don't. I want the best guys playing. I want to win against the best guys, and I want to lose against the best guys. And I, I just don't. The whole. Uh, I, I just don't think that this this does anything. It doesn't preserve fairness. It doesn't. There cost. is no fairness. It doesn't. It doesn't. In it, these it, sports. It's on. It's a non-starter. I, I, it's. I just brought it up because I had never heard anyone mention. A salary cap in the playoffs. I'm like, of all the of all the sports to, to to bring up the idea of a salary cap in the playoffs, hockey was not the one that would have leapt to mind. And I just, I, just 
Wanted to get your thoughts I on it. I tell you what, let them have a salary cap and a playoffs if they bring all the beer and food prices down and the parking down at the arenas. Amen. Here, hold on, hold on. Uh, right. let, me give you, let me give you one of these. You know, we, we spend so much time talking about all the money these players make. And again, to each their own, you make, I don't have anything against the players making money. No. You know what? It's crazy. I, I just took my kid to, we went to our fifth hockey game this season, fourth down on the game. And man, it's, it's, it's expensive. Yep. It and is, what did I say, by the way? The only league that's talking about the, the, the league that consistently works hard to keep the lights on and be financially and fiscally responsible, the NHL, is the one talking about a salary cap for the players. But you're right. Bring down the prices. You can have your salary cap. Until then, why are we even talking about it? If I'm, that's kind if of the I'm, gist of the article. Why are we even talking about it? It was just something. You know what? It's a slow look, news. I am, you, look, you're Let's asking me, it. right? So I'm sure this is a, there's probably a smart, intelligent debate to have about this whole thing. You know, and, and you know, to me, on, and I'll say this, even with you, you're the smarter guy here when it comes to sports and in-depthness, talking about players and stuff, and, and some of my other podcasts that I host. I have really, <laughs> yeah, no. really smart. I'm, I'm lucky to work with, including yourself, some really smart guys who know the games and the ins and outs and stuff, and there's a lot of people who know about salary caps and the numbers and the costs and everything else. I always try and take the position of the average Joe, the fan, the guy, the dad, the whatever, and stuff like that. Like, to me, you know... A kid like uh, Lafreniere, who's, you know, 20 years old playing on the Rangers, you know, up against, say, Ovechkin in the playoffs, like the disparity between the money is massive. One guy has obviously put his time in the league, Sidney Crosby. It's the same way Messier and Chelios and all those guys did that the years before them. On the ice, the disparity as far as contracts are massive. And if a guy gets injured and a kid comes up from the AHL and everything else and you know, and it, sports is, that's just the way it is. You could have a, a great football team all season. Your main guy goes out or your main receiver goes out or whatever. At the end of the day, the money doesn't fucking matter. You know what I'm saying? So the ca- salary cap issue. So Patrick Kane is either healthy or Kucherov's either healthy enough to play. Let the guy fucking play. If he's injured, he can't play. And somebody else has to step I mean, in and take his yeah, place. It's not like... It, if you have a salary, if and without everybody salary, in the seats still not, pays the same money, they're not going to, no team is going to go out and sign a, a free agent just for the playoffs that, you know, it's going to break the salary well, cap. That never happens. They're going to play with the same roster they play with during the regular season. And so if they go over the cap because a player comes back early from injury, they shouldn't be penalized. They're not doing anything wrong. What are you yes. going to say? What do they say? Hey, Patrick Kane, Nikita Kucherov, you said you were injured. You're not. Sorry, you can't play. Come on, get here. Here's a bigger problem the NHL has to look at, right? So they've got this stupid fucking fighting rule in hockey, right? And mm-hmm. the guys all have to wear shields, and they have to wear helmets. And if they get into a fight, they can't take their helmets off unless it's ripped off or pulled off, right? And then you have Nathan McKinnon, a star player, not only Avalanche, but in the league. And he gets into a fight the other night, and he might have a season-ending injury right now. Because he's taking his bare knuckles and he's laying into a, a plastic shield and a plastic helmet and he's ripping his fucking hands apart. Mm. I mean, the stupidity of everything. Like yeah. I said, you gotta you gotta zoom back out and look at everything. So, t- and and like I said, fans forget about. It. I mean, Ranger fans went crazy about Tom Wilson last year. If that hadn't been flipped, and somebody had done that to Ovechkin, 
right? It would have been. That's just fan bases, teams. It's just incidents. It's how things happen. So as far as I'm concerned, the money is so in the stratosphere. I mean, to think of like even you take Premier League. There are guys in the Premier League that make like you know they play ninety minutes once a week <laughs> of tops. These guys make something like three hundred thousand dollars a day. And they're only playing once a week. If you look at an NFL quarterback or a position player in the NFL, they play once a week. Look at those contracts. So forget it. To me, money, forget it. Fucking rules and playoff caps and shit. It's astronomical. At the end of the day, the fans, the, we just keep coming back to the trough. Yep. We keep spending the money. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like anything else. Let's see how much they'll pay. Let's see how stupid they are. And, you know, you still have a top half of, you know, the, the percentage of income in this country, right? The people who pay for the luxury boxes at these stadiums, at these arenas, they're really keeping these teams in place, you know? Because a lot of when it trickles down to the, to the ice level seats, to the, the seats up in the 300s and stuff like that, and like I said, all of a sudden now your playoff tickets are fucking ridiculous. You haven't made the playoffs in eight fucking years. Oh, and all of a sudden you can change the prices? I mean, come on. At the end of the day, Rob, how the fuck is a fucking small Heineken Zero that I had the other day, you know, $15? Or or my brother had, you know, a tall boy of Bud Light. It's 20-something bucks. I mean, Jesus Christ. No. Start there. <laughs> how much is the beer that your son had? <laughs> That was on the house. Well, I'll tell you what. A Gatorade, a cheeseburger, uh, fries, and chicken nuggets, uh, 40 bucks. Yikes. Yeah. That's after the $30 for parking. Yeah. So that's 70 And then whatever the ticket prices were. So, And that's just the two of us. Okay? Now, if you come with a family of four, family six, or a party of eight, and you have one car, you're paying $30 or whatever. But you know what? If you drive a BMW, you get free parking at Union's Arena. They have a sponsorship deal. Oh. If you're, an, if you're an American Express card holder, you get 10% off all your purchases at the UBS. It's fantastic. I tell you I'll, about that. I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be right over. Here you go, buddy. All right. So anyway, salad caps. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Do I all really right. care? You, this you're, ready, you're ready to bring the ship into shore. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you, you don't want to talk that, about that, the no, base that, changes we, in the we, ML, we, MLB? We, we, no, we've been yakking for two hours. I'm ready to, to call it a show. All that other stuff, nobody gives a shit about the size of the bases or whether they're closer together. Nobody cares. You and we'll really get that, that's really wait in the second. weeds. Oh, oh, wait. You don't want to talk about the changes in the NFL boots? Come on, Rob. Give us a give us a lowdown. What? No, 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 none of that. No. <laughs> Come on. It's look, it's it's late. Let's just uh all that stuff. We got we got we got, we'll have nothing to talk about next week. All right, we'll have, so look. It's, Come on it, back next week to hear about changes in the NFL booth. That's really not going to bring anybody back. No, of course not. You don't want to run. You want to. You want to update on MLS. No. <laughs> MLB pre- preseason. No. Yeah. Oh, they, they, they're, they're playing spring training games. Yawn. I, I get updates on my phone about spring training results. I, it's immediately deleted. Call well, me the latest trends in lacrosse across the country. Are they still playing lacrosse? That's the trend. <laughs> All right, pal. Well, let's uh, let's. Why don't you take it away and let everybody know uh, what we're doing with the DOTW uh, and the name of the title of the podcast this week? 
Yes. So the name of the podcast this week is uh, March goes out like a Dan Campbell. You know, as the expression being March comes in like a lion goes out like a lamb. So it's a little lion's joke. And we're we're sort of this show is in honor of the Detroit Lions because this week the Lions were chosen to be on HBO's Hard Knocks, which is thankfully the the wolfed skins have avoided that honor. And they were named host city for the 2024 NFL draft. So it's all about the Lions. And they have the second pick, by the way, in the NFL draft coming up. So, in honor of the Lions, we proudly present here at the Sports Honchos a classic DOTW from all the way back, from all the way back last year. Uh, Mr. Dan Campbell, head coach of those aforementioned Detroit Lions. All right. We ready to do this then? We are. All so right. let's it. Enjoy it. Now it's time for Dope of the Week. Dope of the Week. That's awesome, dude. Hey, everybody. As you know, the Gags Gang and I spend countless hours each week in the basement of the Go Sports Media Complex to come up with each week's winner. And you can, for absolutely no reward, save for our undying respect, help pilot the show by nominating a Dope of the Week yourself. Use the hashtag... D-O-T-W on Twitter, at Cuthbert Live, at Bitter and Rage, at Sports Honchos, at Go Sports Media Company. Any one of those will work. And who will be carrying the mythical Sports Honchos Dope of the Week Cup around the ice rink of shame this week? Why, it's going back to a familiar refrain, NFL coaches. It's Dan Campbell, new coach of the Detroit Lions. Way to go, Dan! Campbell, the former tight ends coach for the New Orleans Saints and one-time interim coach for the Miami Dolphins, was named head coach of the Detroit Lions on January 20th, 2021. He was given a six-year contract after a sparkling 5-7 and seven record as coach of the Dolphins in 2015. Yikes. That's, by the way, kids, that is more years of faith by the Lions than actual wins on the part of Campbell. Campbell, a football lifer as player and assistant coach in the NFL, looks like he stepped right out of central casting. He is a total jock meathead, the kind of high school kid that would gladly give you an atomic wedgie, a lemon, or God forbid, a chocolate swirly, and then finish the day by stuffing you in your locker. He may not be the world's greatest coach, and he may flame out with the Lions, although the bar for success is extremely low in Detroit, but he has already won the press conference Super Bowl. Now, was Campbell the portrait of grace pontificating about strategy and inspiring the dozens of remaining Lions fans with promises of victories and parades through downtown Detroit Rock City? Why no? No, he was not. Instead, Campbell introduced himself to Lions Nation with a performance that sounded as if it were scripted by someone uh, writing a comedy about football coaches with Campbell as the star. I cannot do the speech justice. The rambling hour-long train wreck of double talk and coach speak, so I will play a small snippet. And to help you play along at home, I will point out each cli- each and every cliche that Campbell puts into the aether. So hit it, Mr. Cuthbert. Games. Um, all right, so let me go back. Let me start here again. I wanted this job bad because I felt like I knew this community. I played here. All right, here's what I know. Just as an overall philosophy, you're going to say, well, what's this team going to be? What's it not going to be? Here's what I know. All right. I know that Detroit's made up of great people, some really good people. All right. This community is strong. Um, 
This place has been kicked, it's been battered, it's been bruised, and I can sit up here and give you coach speak all day long. I can give you, uh, you know, hey, we're going to win this many games. I can't, that, uh, none of that matters, and you guys don't want to hear it anyway. You've had enough of that shit, so excuse my language. All right, here's what I do know, is that this team is going to take on the identity of this city, all right, and the city's been, been down, and it found a way to get up. All right, it's found a way to uh, overcome adversity. All right, and so this team's going to be built on. Uh, we're going to kick you in the teeth. All right, and, and when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you. And when you knock us down, we're going to get up. And on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off. All right, oh and we're going to stand God. up. And then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down. All right, and on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap, and we're going to get up, and then it's going to take three shots to get us it's down. And when we do, we're going to take another hunk out of you. Before, <laughs> before long, we're going to be the last one standing. All right, that's going to be the mentality. All right, and we're going to learn that any loss that we take, we're going to make sure we feel the full pain of it and not go numb to it and learn from it and not to want to taste it again. All right, we're going to be competitive every game. I can't Shut up, Dan! Up here and guarantee wow. I think, I think I broke my bell. You know, maybe Bill Belichick had it right. Less is more when it comes to making it's speeches. <laughs> Can you imagine the look on the faces of owner Sheila Ford Hamp and new GM Brad Holmes after that speech? They were probably on the phone with the team lawyers figuring out how to get out of this deal. So, Dan Campbell, for proving once again there is no moment too big for a string of hollow cliches, for instilling buyer's remorse from the Lions organization after an hour on the job, and for threatening the kneecaps of every American, you are the Sports Honcho's Dope of the Week. Congrats, Dan. The certificate is in the mail. And please don't tell him that I said those things, because he's a big, scary man. It's not loaded with uh, just a bunch of, bunch of people that uh, look good on paper. Uh, man, I, I'm scouring. Way to go, Dan! The country, but it's fantastic. The country, Shut the will. fuck I'm up! For the best He's still talking. For the best spot. All right, there's great coaches out there. Shut up! Oh, good God thing he wasn't going to give us any coach speech. Good luck, boys. Oh, my good God. Thing. Good thing he promised no more coach speak, huh? Oh, 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 it's horrible. Oh, buddy. That's classic stuff, man. <laughs> oh, man. What a way to go out. All right, pal. Another great show. Honcho's in the books. Come back next week. Special guest oh, host, shut Dan Campbell. Up, Campbell. And I know that way as a staff. <laughs> He's still talking. All right. Thank you so much for listening, Paul, at Sports Hot Shows. And for yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, good evening. Have a great week. And as always, Mr. Cutie, say good evening to the folks. Shut up, Dan! And uh, thank you to Dan Campbell, as always. And to you, remember, listen, rate, review, subscribe, all those things. We love you. We wouldn't do this without you. And peace. Honcho's out! He did. We had a lot Shut of up, Campbell! And I didn't hear one bad word about Brad. And I've been in contact with him for, for a while. And, and, and